Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411media.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. And if you have a chance, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Today, I am joined by my good friend, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you? Oh, hey, 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 uh, brother Larry Zonka. What's up, my friend? Not much, Steve. Keeping busy as usual. And uh, today, we're going to keep with our flashback theme we've been doing as of late. We did the final Nitro. We did the disastrous Bischoff-Russo reboot of Nitro. And now, now we're going to switch over to the WWF, but we're going to stay with WCW because we're going to look at an important episode ahead of the Invasion pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And it was not only ahead of the Invasion pay-per-view, it was the night ECW joined the Alliance. It was the night that the Invasion got taken to the extreme. That's right. Paul Heyman on commentary with Jim Ross during the show. They were hyping the first interpromotional match uh, happening ever. And uh, a lot of things happened on this show, so we'll just uh, kick it off. Shane McMahon was supposed to fight Diamond Dallas Page in a street fight. They had had an issue on SmackDown where the WCW guys ended up beating the shit out of Shane. And as we would later find out, it was a trap. What? Yes, the, it's a trap! The Undertaker and his wife Sarah arrived, and Undertaker basically said, Listen, I understand that you want to get yourself some, but I need revenge. And Shane was like, Okay. Because it's the Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> I should also point out that the first interpromotional match announced that, that was hyped up at the beginning of the show with the pyro and all this stuff was going on, it was supposed to be. One of your favorite type of matches, a handicap match with Undertaker and Lampstorm Mike and Awesome. That's right. That was supposed to be the first air promotional match, a fucking handicap match. How about that? Yes, no, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, Undertaker thought the same thing because he told Shane, get the hell out of here. Because I, I want a piece of Diamond Dallas Page, this man who's been out here stalking my wife, even though he's a, he has a finance wife on his own. It doesn't matter. DP wants a piece of Sarah, so I want a piece of him. So, goddamn, let's get this going. That's right. So, we get a big Undertaker DDT, DDP brawl to kick off the show. Uh, a refreshing uh, start to a show that's not a 15 or 20 minute promo. Yeah, we, uh, yeah we, well, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Oh, yes, we appreciate that. And uh, as we joked about, uh, the whole thing was a, an elaborate trap because Shane and DDP were on the same page. And after an ass beating for a while, they beat the hell out of the Undertaker for a bit. Sarah tried to make the save. And, oh boy! And this was a a bad mistake for she her. Made, she she came the man. She came Shane McMahon for God's sake. Came the man, but all of a sudden DDP he sneaks up on her, and he hits the 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 diamond cutter bang, diamond cutter on the shoeless Sarah Undertaker, which I know a lot of the wrestling fans out there appreciated. It was like the slowest diamond cutter ever, too. It was. I mean, he was a trained wrestler. Oh, yeah, but that and he didn't want his ass beat real life from The Undertaker. No. So. <laughs> he wanted a woman, for God's sakes. Yeah, but he came in and it was like, he was like, grab, twist, set, diamond, cutter, 
Bang. Bang. <laughs> but yeah, and you this know, the crowd the crowd liked it. They they popped for it. Well, they it was it was the late nineties, early two thousands, and the I'm sorry, this was also a. Uh, the episode date is July 9th, 2001. Yes. I should probably include that. July um, 9th, 2001. We're in Hotlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, GA, if you will. Yeah, but of course... The headquarters, they said you. Late 90s, early 2001. WWF fans always popped for a woman getting beat up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, let's be honest. All the wrestling fans did. And, uh, ECW made a, made a lot of money off that. That's right. Well, they make a lot of money off it. <laughs> well. They made some money off of it. <laughs> They made a little bit of money. <laughs> Enough to pay the boys barely, apparently. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If, if they were making a lot of money off it, we wouldn't be talking about them joining the evasion today. So. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> no, they were making enough money. They, they well, you know enough. what, though? Hang on, hang on. In, in their defense, they could have made a lot of money because apparently there was a lot of creative bank banking there and uh, God's not getting paid. So, yeah, in yeah. theory, there could have been a lot of money, but we don't there know. There could have been, you know. Paul Heyman was a gifted businessman in some ways and not in other ways. That's right. So this uh, led to Sarah getting stretchered out and The yeah. Undertaker was not happy. And then Shane and DDP celebrated and DDP stole Taker's motorcycle. Yes, he did. Just horrible human beings here from the... So Paige gets a, he gets a rest of the night off. He can just ride off on that motorcycle. That's Good right. Time. Horrible, horrible. So horrible man, Diamond Dallas Page, and horribly miscast in this gimmick. I might also add. Yeah. And he he took a buyout from Time War to do this stuff. Good God. Well, the worst part is like, yeah, he took the buyout, and then he he's coming in, and he probably thought he was set up. So like, we're programming you with the Undertaker. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Yeah. Pretty good. yeah. <laughs> and then it's like you're gonna get your ass beat, and his wife's gonna pin you, and. You know, you're going to be his bitch. Yeah, well, no, not not so good at that point. No. Yeah. He had a good sh- he had a good shine period tonight, though. That's he, right. He got to take the rest of the night off, got to ride around on Undertaker's motorcycle while the, under- the Undertaker goes up in the ambulance with Sarah. And, uh, yeah, she was shoeless. I mentioned it for, my, for the internet fans out there who were all about the shoeless woman. That's right. So we move on. Uh, first uh, official match of the evening here. WWF World Tag Team Champions, the Dudley Boys versus the Acolytes. Yeah. And we the got... APA, if you will. That's right. Uh, the APA. We got a title change here as little Spike Dudley, who had apparently suffered a broken leg on SmackDown, limped yeah, down with his good. crutches and uh, ended up attacking, which led to the APA getting the win, which was their third tag title at the time. Um, my notes on this was that Spike uh, attacked both from behind, and I and my my compliment here was at least they didn't play his music prior. Yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> at least you're they right. Play Spike Dudley's music so he could wander on down and hit Bubba the Crush on the outside. So yeah. that's better than we see nowadays. Yeah, you're very correct. I that's <laughs> one of those things I absolutely hate too. And yeah. it's like, yeah, he just he just came down walking with a purpose with his little that's boot on. Yeah. yeah, and laid him out with the crutch. It's like, yeah, good and deal. Nowadays, be like, you got to play the man's music, and everybody's got to take notes. You got to wander down. But uh, here, he just walked down, hit me on the crutch. It's good. <laughs> yep. So that led to the tag title change, and uh, there you go. Baruch and Bradshaw, Ron Simmons win their title in Lance GA. We move on backstage wackiness. Oh. Vince McMahon oh. with Steve Austin and Deborah. 
Face- were the best backstage segments. <laughs> they really were. Just fantastic. They're sitting there, and they're basically ranting about uh, everything that's going on tonight, and Vince is like, he'd be like, this is an injustice, and Austin would be like, injustice. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, you know, it's like repeating everything Vince says. And, yeah. you know, he's like, Vince calls Shane a bad apple, and he's consumed with power, and Deborah talks about uh, yeah. bad apples falling from trees. Kurt Angle yeah. arrives, and he's wearing his child's he's cowboy hat. that same damn cowboy hat they wore last week, which which is last week when Austin presented the cowboy hats. He, he had a one for himself. He had one for Vince. And they had the big white Stetson hats. And Kurt got this little tiny little kid kitty cowboy hat and he's still wearing that damn thing this week yeah and then he thinks it's actually a good thing the best part is like they're austin like makes fun of him he's like why are you still wearing it he's like you gave it to me mm. and he's like i know i gave it to you it, it was a joke yeah. and he rips it off his head and throws it around exactly but but before even before that kurt angle has some presence of his own yes, do tell <laughs> He he has present he has presence for him for himself of course, and for Austin and for Vince, but not for Deborah because who gives Deborah presence? He has badges to match the cowboy hats. He has badges for Austin for Vince and for himself. Of course, Kurtz has the biggest badge for himself, and Austin rightfully replies is he often he rightly says badges. We don't need those stinking badges. Exactly. It was great. Yeah, I love a Blazing Saddles reference, right? That's right. But yeah, a- Angle and Austin were so... Because this is a time oh. where they were both roughed up, so they were doing a ton of backstage stuff, and they were so good. They really were. Just working and together and working with Vince. Which just... Uh, it, it kind of just tells you... It seems like whenever somebody gets injured nowadays, they just disappear off television. Like They, they just go away. You don't hear from them for a while. Whereas with Austin, with Austin Angle, while they're still injured, they're still contributing. They're still allowed to be backstage and still allowed to be doing things to contribute to the program. And I wonder why they don't do that nowadays. I mean, I, I probably know the answer is the answer is that they don't have things for them to do. But Steve, there is only five hours of Raw and SmackDown a week. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if somebody gets hurt, they should be allowed to contribute backstage like Austin Angle were here to do some funny shit to keep people remembering these guys like uh, with both Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn how long were they gone for like for, for like a year right almost I mean for both guys why weren't they still around at least for part of that doing something yeah it'd be nice we know they're funny we know they could we know they could do those guys could do it yeah it'd be nice if they did stuff like this a little more often but um you know, they're, I don't know, we're too consumed with the 24-7 title and shit like that. <laughs> At least, uh, we, you know, Austin pointed out that Kurt looks stupid with a hat on as a joke and whatnot. And Kurt, and he reminds uh, Kurt Angle of how Booker T humiliated the man last week. So Austin's all like, you know what you should do if you're a man? You should challenge Booker T tonight, you know? That's right. Uh, so then we go. So there was a punchline to all this. That's right. So backstage, we see Kane arriving at the arena, Steve. Um, He's not aware of what happened to The Undertaker. How did Kane arrive here at the arena? Kane, we see Kane casually walking into the arena. He's in full gear, mask, tights, all that stuff. He's got a gym bag over his shoulder. 
And I am just wondering, Larry Zonka, what in the blue hell did Kane have his, in his gym bag? If he's got his, he's got, he's got his gear already on. He's got his tights on. He's got his jock strap on, probably. He's got his mask on. What the hell would he have in his gym bag? I have no clue. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I mean, does he have... Did he murder somebody on the way to the arena? Does he have a body in there? Come on now. What happened? You know, it's hard to tell with Kane. Um, yeah, he might murder somebody on the way to the show. It happens with Kane. You know. Crazy guy. I wish I knew, because it's like... Dude, like you said, he's in full gear. He has his mask full on. Gear. Like, it's like, does he have some extra shoes? Maybe a backup mask. I mean, like a yeah, backup mask, maybe. <laughs> like, what the hell? What's he got in the gym bag? Does he have weights or something? Is he gonna do his full workout before? I don't know who the hell knows. But uh, this this just puzzled me when I was watching this segment. It's like, Kane is showing. Up. Okay, cool. He's got like why. I don't understand. You know what else I didn't understand, Larry Zonka? Probably a lot on this show, but go ahead. Uh, the, our next match was for the Intercontinental Championship between Rhino and Albert. And That's also something I didn't understand. Rhino and Albert? Like, what? Who, and who and Albert was the Intercontinental who, Champion here. Yeah, who wanted to see this? I know it's X Factor. Yeah, <laughs> Albert is part of X Factor at this point. And they got all the gold because X-Pac is, is also the light heavyweight champion. Albert's the Intercontinental champion. Um, unfortunately, when I was watching this on the network, they did not play the god-awful X-Factor theme music from Uncle Cracker. Remember that? That is a guilty pleasure of mine. I actually, <laughs> like... I got everything I wanted out of need. <laughs> you know, you hate X-Factor, but you ain't got to look at me like that. You know, you ain't got to look at me like that. Yeah, that that's kind of what it's like, right? Pretty much. Sure. Yeah, close to something it. like that. I know people love when I sing on these shows. That's I right. Really, yeah, love it. But they yeah, that was have the theme music on this. That was the worst part of watching on the network because, like, when the match yeah. was coming up, I was it like, has a, "Yeah, it's like I was all excited to hear the the Uncle Cracker music the and X Factor music. <laughs> I like to hear that. I mean, even Spad, I I do like to hear that horrible yeah. shit. That's right. Just so, to get myself in the mood. <laughs> so th these dudes had a like a three minute match. That, we should also mention that uh, Teddy Long was a referee for this. Uh, for this. This experiment. is true. <laughs> but uh, these guys had a three minute match that felt like it was thirteen. It felt like it's thirteen. It really did. <laughs> it's just I I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like horrible. No, it's just it it's just it felt long. It's one of those matches that drug. You had Xbox doing some things. He did a super kick to Rhino behind Teddy Long's back. It got near fall, and then Rhino hits the gore on Xbox. Uh, like ten minutes later, it felt like ten minutes later, but it was actually a little bit closer. But uh, then Albert ends up with the bicycle kick, and uh, my notes say this was a match. And X Factor's horrible music being dubbed takes some of the fun out of it, quite honestly. That's right. This was this was part of the weird Albert title <laughs> run that was just like completely heatless. Like yeah, he, it really was. he beat Kane and Edge and Rhino like all clean in a row, and and nobody cared. Yeah, and that's the thing. You would think that like you know those are some decent names and all, but it's just like yeah, nobody cared. 
That's what happens sometimes. Yeah, Booker T was warming up backstage. For, uh, just what is he warming up for? Exactly. He was just get, he was getting his pump on like a party pump, man. He wanted to look I mean, good he, in case he had the camera. He wasn't for anything. Hey, he had might have had to go out in front of the cameras. He wanted to look good. <laughs> got, gotta let the man get his party pump on, and this led to All the right. the confrontation from Kurt Angle. Yeah, and he suggested uh, that Booker T wasn't Booker's real name. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, I came here to formally introduce myself, Booker T, if that is your real name. <laughs> I always love that. <laughs> yeah, and basically, uh, Booker makes fun of him for being a cowboy, and uh, he asks where his cute little hat is, and Angle says, uh, he's like, yippee ki Mother Hubbard. Yeah. No joke, that's what he said, which was very... Mother Hubbard, because Mother Hubbard is black. Sure. But, saying. I mean... It was very. Everybody's like, "Oh, that's such a stupid line," but I'm like, "That was Kurt Angle was, was stupid." Kurt Angle. I mean, was he Kurt always Angle. said weird shit say. like that. Yeah, so that's was... what he would say. So we got that match booked later on, and and then we cut from that to, oh my gosh, I this awesome Perry, Commissioner William Regal and Tajiri. Yes. <laughs> the only thing better than Regal yes. and Tajiri yes. was Austin and Tajiri. Austin Jerry, that's pretty great too. Because Austin would be great. like, he'd be like, "What do you think there, Ty Jerry?" And Tajiri yeah. would sit there and he'd he'd say something, he'd be like, "That is deeply insightful, my friend." <laughs> I love how to this day, I, I say to this day, it's a couple of years ago when Regal and Tajiri reunited, and Regal still seemed completely disgusted by the man. <laughs> well, Regal keeps it real, man. <laughs> It was fantastic, but uh, these two guys are great together. And, you know, Kane barges in once Kane finally figures out what happened to the Undertaker. And he volunteers to take Undertaker's spot in the handicap match. And, of course, Regal and Tajiri agree because, well, why wouldn't they agree? Why wouldn't they agree? That's yeah. right. They don't want to deal with Kane, for God's sakes. Got no time for that. That's right. And then uh, Tajiri, who is hiding behind, like, a suit of armor because he was yeah. afraid of Kane sneaks out and then he starts speaking Japanese and Regal was just like, yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always loved that with him and Austin. Like they, they uh, yeah. obviously just understood everything. Obviously. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, yes, yes, obviously. Obviously. And then we get, uh, a matchup between probably two future WWE Hall of Famers. I would say Jeff Hardy and big show. Yeah. It was a minute and 40 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. The Big Show won. We also got an appearance from a current WWE Hall of Famer, Trish Stratus. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, buddy. This was during the uh, this the beginning of the Showguns phase, because uh, Show and Billy Gunn had uh, just beat the Hardys on SmackDown. Jeff was looking for payback. He lost quick, and then you had Trish making out with Jeff after the match, which was uh kind of building to uh the big inter uh the big interpromotional match and invasion the first yes. ever tag team Braun we'll panties get to this match here in a minute yes the the first the first ever Braun panties tag team match yes oh gosh um yeah so um this is quite the match as you would say i mean Trish Trash walked out about mid to it poor Jeff Hardy getting his rip shirt his his uh, shirt ripped the fans like that. You notice that. Uh, big Show taking a way too big bump off missile drop kick. And then the Big Show hits the alley-oop, which was the uh, re- reverse powerbomb gimmick. He lifts the guy for the powerbomb. He goes the opposite way. 
Yep. So that's fun. Nice little match. And then Trish comes into the ring to console Jeff with a kiss. So that's why you play Jeff's music afterwards. Because he got kissed by Trish Stratus. Well, I mean, that Jim. that does make him the winner. Well, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman would, would agree with you on that. That's right. <laughs> I mean, he might have lost the match, but by God, he won the war, man. Oh. So we head backstage for more Austin uh, and uh, <laughs> Angle hilarity. This <laughs> is awesome. Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle stretching in front of Steve Austin. Yeah, pretty he, much putting his, putting his cock and balls right in front of Austin's face. Yeah, he's doing toe touches <laughs> and stretching. And Austin is right behind him. And every time he goes down, his ass gets closer to Austin's face. Oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> the look on Austin's face is just amazing. That was tremendous. So Vince uh, tries to hype Angle up. And they argue about who should be captain of Team WWF at the Invasion. And yeah. uh, we have a we get a Chris Jericho per, a cameo in here, and he's they also uh, argued who should be Gilligan and who should be a skipper. That's right, yeah. Yes, there's Gilligan skipper references because that was uh, topical. That yeah, point. Vince, nobody watched that show. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's owned by TNT and TBS, so of course nobody watched it. But uh, yeah, Chris Jericho walks in, and you might recall that there was a rumor uh, back at the King of the Ring show where Austin and took on Jericho and Benoit. There's a rumor that Chris Jericho win title and defect to WCW. But no, Jericho's like, I've been to WCW before. I don't want to do that again. So he wants to be an invasion match, the inaugural brawl, if you will. And we get the gimmick where Kurt Angle is repeating the end of Steve Austin's sentences, much like Austin repeated Vince's sentences earlier on. Yes, it was the, those guys. Oh, and stuff going on here. Yeah, they had really good chemistry, though, man. Just it really did. Stuff. It was great. So we sat there, and uh, we go. We see uh, Jamal Anderson of the Atlanta Falcons was in the crowd. Yeah. Dirty birds. And then it is announced that Lita and Trish will face Tori and Stacey Keebler in the first ever Braun Panties tag team match at Invasion. We're very excited about this, as you can tell. And why wouldn't we be excited about it? And then in a blast to the past, we go to WWF New York. Yeah! Which, for those of you that don't know what that is, was a short-lived <laughs> restaurant that WWF owned in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s Times uh, in uh, Times Square in New York. And they always had talent there during pay-per-views and Raw and such like that. Yeah. they do live cut-ins. Probably the most famous thing that ever happened there was when uh, Edge cut a promo after uh, Billy Gunn was at WWF New York during the King of the Ring. And he's like, next year, if I'm with WWF New York after winning King of the Ring, he's like, just put me down like Billy Gunn. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, good stuff. Uh, yes. But uh, this was Matt and Lita, and they talked Matt about the, the brawn panties match, and they made yeah. out a little bit, and Lita doesn't trust Trish. Well, why should she? Well, Is I mean, they, they became the best of friends, so... They it's became okay. besties eventually. Eventually, after all this stuff with the Hardys ironing itself out. But uh, at this particular time period, uh, they were trying to engage in a lip lock to rival Trish and Jeff. So they're trying to make people jealous at this point, is what's going on. That's right. So then we... I don't know. It didn't work. The whole Madden Yeah, don't don't ask you those guys how that worked out. Yeah, Who knows? Wasn't, wasn't good. Though I see Shane McMahon giving Booker T a pep talk. Yeah. 
Yep, and then we have Vince uh, giving Kurt Angle a pep talk, and they talk about That's how right. him and Austin are going to be out there. And Kurt Angle was like, "Yeah, I don't need you." He's like, "Where were you in 1996 when I won the Olympic gold?" He's like, "You weren't there." That's right. So he said he was going to do it for himself for the USA in this very city <laughs> where he won the gold medal. <laughs> and he said he didn't need them, and he will become WCW champion. And uh, yeah, he was all pumped up and ready to go. You know what, man? I have said before that I thought that the invasion angle, I thought that the first WCW match would work better in Atlanta. But after seeing the match between Kurt Angle and Booker T, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that because, I mean, Kurt Angle and Booker T, eh, Kurt Angle was a baby face. <laughs> Am I right? No, no, you're you're right. I'm right. He was the babyface. I mean, we get we even got the WCW logo in the corner, you know, on the screen. The WCW logo. It got WCW on the ring apron. We still have Jim Ross and Paul Heyman announcing, which makes sense because they did back in 1990. It's not a new announcement for <laughs> WCW. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I say as a mixed reaction, it really wasn't. It's all about for for Kurt Angle. Uh, Kurt Angle was babyface here. And uh, your referee for this match was Nick Patrick. You know Nick Patrick pretty well. Oh, yes. Nick Patrick. Yeah, yeah. He's, 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 Mc... he's a ref. Yeah. Shane is at <laughs> ringside with Booker, of course, because uh, he agreed to be. And Shane attacks Kurt Angle right in front of Nick Patrick. And, yeah, Nick Patrick doesn't care. So I go, okay, cool, cool. Some pretty good, uh, pretty good action here. We got a spin reef from Booker T, which is always great. Kurt locks in the ankle lock to, to get a submission. Booker taps out, but when you know it, Shane McMahon is distracted Nick Patrick. Booker T, uh, his tapping went unnoticed. Who could imagine? And then uh, Kurt manages to uh, make Nick, Nick Patrick take him up outside. We got the ankle slam. Earl Hebner! Earl Hebner runs down to make the count, but goddamn, Nick Patrick pulls the man out of the ring. We got a fight between Hebner and Patrick. Earl's short, uh, shirt gets torn o- open. Kind of gross. Not good, but Shane McMahon, he hands Booker T the belt. Shane saves the day. Booker hits Kurt with the belt, and little Nate, Charles Robinson's right there, make the three count. Now, JR says it's a fast count. Eh, it looked like a fine count to me, but whatever, you know. That, that's what he said, it's all right. But, you know, classic WCW stuff here. And then, honestly, and we're not kidding, this was building to an Earl Hebner, Nick Patrick match and Invasion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It really did. That was something that happened. I don't know. It was what it was. I mean, you know, I, Nick Patrick was always good at doing uh, doing his heel referee angles. That's what he's good at, right? Yeah, pretty much. That was most of his career, it seems. Yeah, and Earl Hebner uh, should not have been getting his shirt pulled open. That was a bad time. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> that was a bad time, but of course then... Angle wanders backstage, and he wonders, where where were Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon? Because, you know, what he said, he didn't need them. But, you know, they should have still been down there anyway. Come on now, right? Yeah, well, that was the best part. They're like, you said yeah. you didn't need us. Like, I didn't mean it. Yeah, exactly. Goddamn. <laughs> so, Don't then, take the man literally. Come that's on right. now. So then we got Scott Hudson um, interviewing the biggest talents in WCW, Stacey yes. Keebler and Tori Wilson. You know what? You know what? I saw Scott Hudson here. 
Okay, I eventually saw Scott Hudson because I was looking at Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler, first off. Then I, I would ask, like, why wasn't Scott Hudson out there calling the WWE's title match? You know what, though? He got the better job right here. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is a better job. Come on now. <laughs> Tori Wilson, she talked about she's had dirty old men drool over her her entire life. But Vince McMahon was the worst, and I believe that's true. I believe that's true. Uh, hard to argue with that one, yeah. But Stacy uh, says they'll show why they save you women always come out on top. Yeah, this is uh this was prime Stacy and Tori in two thousand one. It really was. I mean They're fantastic. Yeah. They still are. They still are. We yeah, saw this is true, there. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, they were uh, rather amazing in two thousand one for sure. Just uh complete dishes. Which remind that actually kind of reminds me. Just uh, speaking of older WWF stuff, um, I was uh, re- reviewing uh, Best of Super Juniors, and um, during a Taka Michinoka match, he kind of went old school. He was wearing like the blue tr- trunks, and yeah. you know Kevin Kelly's doing commentary, and he's talking about how uh, it's really cool seeing Taka kind of do throwback stuff. And he even did like a big second rope moonsault to the floor, which he doesn't do like any of that stuff anymore. He's really grounded guy now. And he was just talking about Kai and Ty and hanging out with Taka 20 years ago. And he's like, and uh, juice, juice Robinson asked him about like, Oh, he's like, what was the best part of Kai and Ty? And he's like, well, Mrs. Yamaguchi was a dish. (laughs) 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 And just like, and he's not wrong. No, I mean, you know, so he's not wrong. He's not wrong. But uh, oh so man, we I go backstage. Tori here. Oh gosh, that's yes. right. So backstage Fantastic. we stay. The APA meets with the Dudleys, and they br- yeah. they're basically like, you know, we didn't want to win the titles like that, and we'll give you a rematch anytime on SmackDown if you want it. And then Bradshaw invites the Dudleys for a beer, and Bubba says, "Why don't you ask us at the end of the night?" Dun, dun, dun. That's right. Yeah. And then we got the big handicap match. Yeah. But was it? Oh, no, it wasn't because, I mean, Kane came out to take on Team Canada, Lance Storm, and Mike Awesome. But before a match can even start, Y2J Chris Jericho makes his big entrance. He comes out and uh, he joins Kane attacking Storm and Awesome. So I guess it's a tag team match. Nobody's. Uh, I, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't know. Whatever. They didn't really specify. Yeah. Cool. Where was Teddy Long when we need him? Exactly. Make a tag team match play a holla, holla, holla. I also note that Paul Heyman was big in hyping up the Chris Jericho and Landstorm combination without mentioning who put them together back in the day. That's right. He did bring he up the He did not mention who put them together in Smoky Mountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who was – he did not mention that part. No, he wouldn't mention his good yeah. friend Jim Cornette. Yeah, he brought up the thrill seekers, but did not bring up Jim Cornette. No, he sure didn't. <laughs> so they. Of course, one of my favorite mentions of all time. Oh, the Survivor Series. Yeah. There's a thing on Survivor Series where Paul Heyman was talking smack to Jim Ross, and Jim Ross is like, "I could have Jim Cornette replace you tomorrow." <laughs> and Heyman like starts laughing. <laughs> but it's true. This is yeah. Replace that man without a second thought. Come on now. So they had a solid match here. It was fine. It was playing off well. Uh, Jericho worked the the bulk of the match. They got the heat on him. Kane made the big comeback. And then out of nowhere... Heyman was very complimentary of uh, Storm and Awesome throughout the match. He was, which was, uh, again, foreshadowing because Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam made the run in. 
Yeah. Through the, the crowd. Again, like wearing you said, ECW no music. Wearing ECW shirts, no less. Yeah, and they helped uh, Storm and Awesome uh, double team Jericho and Kane. Yeah. And they end up winning the match. And uh, yeah, this but was wait, solid. But wait a minute, Larry. After uh, after a little while, here comes some WWF guys. That's right. We got some WWF guys running down. Let's see. We got. Hang uh, on, hang on. So it was a four on two beatdown. Yeah. Yeah. Was, so then yeah. we get the Dudleys. We got the Dudleys. Raven. Raven. Taz. Taz. Rhino. Rhino. And X Factor's Just Incredible. Just Incredible is there. They face off with Dreamer and RVD and Storm and Awesome. They face off. And then they turn around towards Jericho and Kane. And Paul Heyman says on commentary, Feel this moment, JR. JR. Feel this moment for the rest of your life. Feel it. Heyman was so good. And then Jericho and Kane get beat down by everybody. And Jared doesn't know what's going on. The, the, the fans get, they're yelling East W. They're yelling East W. JR wants an answer. And Paul Heyman says, he, he, okay, you find, you want an answer? He goes to Ren to give him an answer. He calls him a damn pig. <laughs> He's been a corporate sellout, spilling his guts about this whole invasion while everybody's forgotten about the tribe of extreme. And guess what? The invasion has got taken to the extreme. Play that ECW music. And Larry Zonka, for my money, there's never been a better theme to a wrestling show than ECW music. The ECW music's great, but not only that, even though this wasn't like a segment filled with stars, this segment came off so well. Because you had that big four on two, and then you get the rest of the guys come down, and it's like, okay, they they come to make the save, and then they do that slow turnaround. And once the crowd realizes it's all ECW guys. Yeah, that's (laughs) the thing. The crowd, like, as they're slowly turning, the crowd slowly realizes what is going on. And, yeah, they were into it. And, like, Heyman was great on commentary with JR, the, the feel this moment thing, and then, like, the promo. And it's like, it's like, it's so good. And so we got that all set up. And, you know, he Paul Heyman ends with uh, daring Vincent Shame to come after him because... The invasion was now being taken to the extreme and we got the ECW guys posing and it was a, it was, it was a big moment. It felt huge and important. It really, this is, this is some great stuff right here. And it, it wasn't like, I mean, the Dudleys were tag team champions, of course, but the rest of, I mean, Rhino had done some, I mean, the rest of those guys, they wanted like their, your top of the card. It wasn't like your main event that GF guys, but it still felt like a big fucking deal. Well, again, and it's it's how they set it up. It's how it revealed itself, and then it was the crowd reaction on top of Heyman on commentary. It just all worked. Yep. Mm. Damn, that's good TV. <laughs> yeah, so that left Jim Ross alone at ringside. Jim Ross next to an empty chair, which, you know what, if it happened today, you would have, like, four people out there next to Jim Ross. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> because you got to have five guys in every damn match, or at least three. You know, come on now. This led to Shane and Vince uh, running into each other backstage. And, you know, Shane points out that Vince lost six of his guys and that he lost two of his and that they can't be affording to lose anybody else. So Shane then says uh, that, you know, we can't let ECW infest our house because it's McMahon house. They need to kill ECW tonight. 
So the House of McMahon, it's like a goddamn house. It's like Game of Thrones. We got the House of McMahon. That's right. <laughs> so Shane says, since Heyman has ten guys, that they should each field five guys and yeah. build a team take for one out. night only. Take them out. And you know, again, they Shane is very adamant. This is for one night only. Vince yeah. agrees to help out, and uh, yeah, that's the big setup for tonight. With somebody, you know, somebody's got to lead the way, which is where he runs their problems in that regard. But before all that, we got a light heavyweight championship match. Light heavyweight title on the line between X-Pac, the current champion, which they need, they need to change the X-Factor Tron video because it's still got just, just incredible there. That's not too good. And he's taking on Scotty Tuhati, who returned pretty recently from injury. That's right. Scotty had the, uh, the the whole neck fusion gimmick done, unfortunately, because he had uh, neck problems for years. And he was back, though, thankfully. But, uh, of course, he uh, he was taken out in gimmick, you know, and storyline by Kurt Angle. So JR had to mention that while still saying that Kurt Angle got screwed out of the WWE title by God. So that's kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, Kurt Angle was screwed. He's like, but by the way, he's also he an also asshole. he also took Scotty out, so, you know. Kind of awkward. Kind of awkward. It was a little weird, but I mean, that's uh, that's the wrestling storytelling as we know it. Yep. So they they had a match. It went a little over four minutes, and it was uh, quite disappointing, actually. It was just... Uh, <laughs> they did stuff to fill time, and X-Pac ended up countering a sunset flip with the sit-down, grabbed the ropes, and that was it. You guys say the worm was still over in, at this point. People still pop for that goddamn warm tease. This this is true. I mean, uh, I mean, you can't deny that the worm was over. The worm was over, and Saitoadi Bay Association next buck. I mean, I gotta tell you, compared to the matches we 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 saw in the Nitro episode, this wasn't too bad. Well, no, I mean, this one I'd at least <laughs> give like a star to for God's sake. You at least had a match. You at least had a semblance of storytelling, a little bit of match, some moves, if you will. Not a bunch of guys just standing around with their dick in hand. Like, what the hell? What's going on here? That's right. So we're going to head to our main event. But first, we had uh, the big meeting of the minds backstage. Talk. Yeah. Where they were arguing over who would be in control. And Vince was like, you know, you're going to follow my guys. And Shane was like, fuck you. Yeah. And uh, so, obviously, they were not off to a good start. No, no. It wasn't good. I mean, eventually Shane's like, well, I'll lead them out ringside. And those of you guys lead, uh, leave. And Vince is like, well, don't listen to those guys. So you know what? <laughs> that, that was doomed from the beginning. The way so, those guys trying to talk these guys up. But our WDF representatives were APA, Big Show, and the Shogun, the Hardcore Holly and Billy Gunn. Yeah, it, this, is, this is an all-star collaboration here because then we got... <laughs> Chris oh, Canyon, gosh. Chuck Palumbo, yeah. Mark Jindrak, Sean O'Hare, and Sean Stasiak. He Nash used to be meat. Yeah, he used to be meat. Nash born <laughs> thrills in canon, pretty much. Yeah, it's like a... Lillian uh, introduced Chuck O'Hare. Yes. So uh, she she gave up after that. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she did. She just kind of stopped announcing. She just like, gave up, yeah, like... So they were going to take on Team ECW, which was Bubba and Devon, Just Incredible, Landstorm, Mike Awesome, Raven, Rhino, Rob Van Dam, Taz, and Tommy Dreamer. But before the ECW guys even came out, Steve, what happened? Oh, gosh. Before they made their way out, 
Um, you had the WF guys enter ring first. You had WCW guys enter ring second. And, of course, everybody started talking some smack. There was a slap involved. You had some fisticuffs. And when you know it, Larry Zonka, but the WDF shockingly got the upper hand. I can't imagine. That's Somehow right. Somehow WDF managed to clear the ring of those damn WCW guys. I, I can I can believe it. I was shocked. It was amazing, yes. But it was ama- more amazing was that they couldn't get along. No. Seriously. And then ECW, uh, uh, after that all happened, ECW makes their way through the crowd. And uh, Larry Zonka... Um, the day this show happened, there was a, a weather event in my town, and uh, the power went out. So that was that was fun for me. Uh, around this time of the evening was was when the power came back in my house. And when the power came back on, I turned on the TV and I turned over the raw, and I saw, <laughs> I saw Taz leading Paulie dangerously, and the rest of these ECW guys out wearing ECW T-shirts to ECW music, and I was like, what the hell's going on here? I was so like, what the... That was the total WTF moment for me. Like, what the hell happened here? Obviously, yeah. I I mean, that's the thing. I was excited, because, like, cool ECW, but like, what the hell's going on here? So the ECW guys (laughs) arrive, they do a big 10-on-5 beatdown on Team WWF as Shane holds his boys back. And then as ECW takes control, he's already he sends his boys in. You think we're getting the big brawl, but no. Uh, Everybody no, starts no, no, hugging no. and high fiving, and it's the big swerve. Oh, the swerve, if you will. Oh, oh, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. Everybody embraces. And I felt bad for poor WF referee. He got dumped that ring by Canyon at a pretty low angle. That's a bad time for that guy. And Vince wanders out wondering, what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? Oh, I don't know. And Shane calls the action for a bit with some of the guys take, getting taken out. He points out, you can't compete with Vince's checkbook. You can outsmart him. And uh, Vince wanted to hold him personally responsible for everything that happened tonight. And sure enough, he is personally responsible for everything that happened tonight, including ECW merging tonight. They'll kick WF's ass at an invasion. But you know what? We're not done, Larry. We got something else to drop. That's right, because Shane McMahon announced that ECW has a new owner. Because, God forbid, we use Paul Heyman. No. You know, the dude that is synonymous with ECW and that can cut a hell of a promo better than anybody on the damn roster. Uh Uh-huh. Nope. The two entities are to be merged into one. They're going to become the alliance, and he brings out the new ECW owner... Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> Stephanie McMahon helmsley, if you will. As Jim Ross pointed out, the sins of the father are costing us all in WDF a date that will live in sports entertainment infamy. May God have mercy on our WDF souls. Ugh. And I will say, Jim Ross was great there. He I was. mean, it's a great call, but... Let's jump into this. First, you got Shane running WCW, which that angle came off well. That's fine. That works. Yeah. And then you do... You bring in ECW. You have Paul there, so he's kind of like the inside man. And that works. Yeah. But then you jump ahead... We have to have more McMahons involved, Larry. Well, Well, not even that. Hang on. We jump ahead anywhere from three to six months in storyline... 
in less than 45 minutes. Yeah. And we jump right into this ECW, WCW joining factions thing. And you just, like, okay, the alliance was, or the invasion was going along lukewarmly at best. (laughs) Because they didn't have any of the big names. And they weren't really making the WCW guys real threats. I mean, fuck off with Mike Awesome winning the hardcore title. That's not a big accomplishment. Okay, it was an interesting angle and everything, but like, we were waiting for something from the WCW guys, and they were never getting it. So, you bring in the ECW thing, and they could have run three to six months of just ECW sneak attacks onto various shows... Who are they targeting this week? You know, then you you could have teased alliances with both sides at various points, depending on who you brought in. But in 45 minutes, they just (laughs) jumped ahead and slapped it all together and ruined a bunch of long-term storytelling. I feel like it is even worse once I realize it's actually 45 minutes. Well, that's the thing too. I was, was watching. Even shorter than I thought it was. I was watching this show at the beginning, and I, cause I haven't watched it in a couple years, and I'm watching it, and I keep waiting for the RVD Dreamer running, yeah. and then it doesn't happen until like hour two. In this day of the age of three-hour rolls, you expect things to play out a little bit longer. Yeah, and I just, uh, and then like again the horrible mistake of putting Stephanie in charge of ECW when, when Paul Heyman is right there. Uh-huh. I, I could have accepted Stephanie if Paul Heyman was not a WWE employee. <laughs> but he was. He was on commentary, and then you had that great angle where he was essentially the inside man. He was pissed off that his legacy was being shit on, and it was a great angle to get him and ECW involved. It gave the invasion new life. The Alliance was a much better force than just WCW was at the time. But it just, it was so rushed. And then again, you add Stephanie into it because like you said, Steve, we have to have more McMahons on TV. We have to have more, more and more McMahons involved in TV. And I can can kind of even see that working because you can have Paul Heyman brainwashing her in addition, Shane. All right, we took a little break there. This is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. We just finished talking about the July 9th, 2001 episode edition of Monday Night Raw where ECW joined the invasion. And this was going to lead up to the big invasion pay per view, Steve, which. Uh, I believe still holds the record for the biggest buy rate for a non-WrestleMania pay-per-view. 770,000 buys. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's just, uh, as much people want to tell you that, well, you know what, maybe the idea of you feud wasn't as big a draw as you might have thought. People wanted to see that. You yeah. see the, the buy rate for the Invasion show, and that just it goes to show you that people were really interested in that. Even if those of you roster is depleted, that didn't have, we didn't have a Hogan and Hall and Nash and Goldberg and Ric Flair and all those guys. We had those of you 24 and Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page, and it wasn't the top those of you guys, but people still 
we're really interested to see what happened with with that invasion, with that whole gimmick. And I think it also, I mean, that ECW angle, I think, as a go home style angle, yeah. helped big time because yeah. then you had those lapsed fans. So as we talk about that now. You know, we talk about lapsed fans, and we talk about just the deaths of ECW and uh, WCW, and we've talked a little bit about the WCW side, but Steve Cook, when ECW died, your thoughts? Um, well, I mean, when they lost that TNN deal, we knew it was going to be tough. When, when they lost that deal to the World Wrestling Federation, which the World Wrestling Federation started airing Monday Night Raw on, on TNN, and ECW lost their rights to their deal... It was going to be a tough road going ahead for him. And Paul Heyman, uh, he kept saying he's going to make some TV deals. Uh, They still ran some pay-per-view events. They still had their syndicated TV. Uh, They even had some some matches on Farm Club. Remember the Farm Club show, Larry? Farm Club? Does that ring a bell? Not really. Matt Penfield was on that show. He was on USA. It was a it's a weird thing. They're trying to make a deal through through that website. I mean, I'm sure somebody listening will remember the Farm Club show. Less more will probably remember the the Farm Club stuff. But there was a, a Heyman was trying to make these deals, and uh, he was also making deals for himself to appear in the Rollerball. Remember Roller? You remember Rollerball, right? Oh yes, the yeah. epic movie franchise. He made deals for himself to appear in that. But his TV deals with ECW did not go so well. So when they did eventually go out of business, their final show, uh, gosh, was it Guilty as Charged? Was, do you remember which one it was? What was the name of the show? I don't remember. I'll see if I can find it. But uh... I, I think it was, was it January. I think it's January. I think it's Guilty as Charged. I know it was a Hammerstein Ballroom. I remember it was uh, Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn to close it out. Uh, they're trying to push Jerry Lynn as a big heel of Cyrus. Cyrus the virus slash Don Callis. And RVD came out. RVD had been around for a while. So that was pretty cool to see. And I believe that was the last match they had on their last pay-per-view. And then they had some TV tapings. And I think their actual last show was in like Nashville or Arkansas or some weird place like that. Yeah, this uh, Guilty as Charged 2001 yes. was the final. Yes. Cy- Cyrus and Jerry Lynn defeated the Bad Street Boys in the opener. <laughs> Danny Doring and Roadkill defeated Hot Commodity with Jul- yeah. Julio De Niro and Easy, Easy Money. Easy Money and Confederate Currency Chris, Chris Hammer. Yes. Nova, who invented everything, defeated Chris Hammerick. <laughs> there you go. Tommy Dreamer defeated e- C.W. Anderson in an I Quit match. That was really good, I remember. Then uh, you had uh, Tajiri and Mikey Whipwreck with the Sinister Minister defeating yeah. Kid Cash and Super Crazy, as well as the FBI, which was Little Guido and Tony, Tony Mamaluke. Uh, it was I don't in, remember that, but it sounds fun. Yeah, number one contenders <laughs> match for the uh, tag titles. Uh, Swinger and Simon defeated... Uh, oh, no, they fought Balls Mahoney and uh, Chili Willy to a no contest. Yeah. The Sandman defeated Steve Carino and Just Incredible, which was a TLC and C match, tables, ladders, chairs, and canes. Yeah. For the uh, ECW championship. Rhino yeah. then defeated then Rhino, yes. defeated yeah. the Sandman yeah. in a minute to win the title. I remember that, yeah. And then Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lind closed things out. As well uh, should have. Yeah, Rob Van Dam won twenty four and a half minutes. And I'm trying to see if I can find out. What kind of 
I want to say it wasn't one of the best RVD Jerry Lynn matches. It was ones where they hit all the spots, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was ones where they hit all the spots. Send the fans home happy, if you will. Because yeah. RVD was owed so much money at that point. I know RVD talked about this in the, the Rise and Fall ECW. He was owed so much money where he knew that he would never get paid back. <laughs> yeah, so it was, uh, from what I remember looking into it, it was a solid match, but yeah, not there. Not their yeah. best stuff. Probably yeah. went a little too long at the RVD time. Balls the wall on that. <laughs> yeah, he was taking his time. <laughs> so yeah, I remember. Um, I remember finding ECW uh, late night on uh, like a public access in Pittsburgh, uh, and yeah. uh, just uh, just like what the fuck is this? You For know, me, it was a low power UHF champ channel in Cincinnati on a very small television. We we still had antenna on. It was you know very blurry, very blurry. I, I remember Cactus Jack. I remember <laughs> Yeah, I just, oh. um, yeah, it was, it was fucking wild. Cause you have to remember at the time, is like the ECW style was just not the norm in the U.S. Cause you had, as Steve likes to call it, the employment era, the WWF yeah. in the early 90s. And then like the early 90s WCW stuff before the NWO and everything was, you know, pretty um, paint by numbers, plain wrestling TV. Yep. <clears throat> Bless me. They went. I mean, yeah. I mean, we know we know about the change in WCW where when when once Hulk Hogan came in, it became Hulk Hogan and Friends. Whereas yes. before that, it was uh, a product that that I liked, that I enjoyed, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan and all his friends show up. Like, oh shit, what the hell. <laughs> Yeah, but so yeah, was... ECW came in and like if you uh if you really think about it, it had a a mix of uh like a Memphis and an FMW to it because yeah. you had yeah. those wild Memphis brawls and then you had like the FMW deathmatch aspect to it as yeah. well as the character. So it was a it was just different from anything else. It wasn't WWF, it sure as fuck wasn't WCW. Yeah. And like when you haven't seen that kind of shit and that pops up out of nowhere. That catches your eye. It really does. Whether it's on a blurry television, a low-powered UHF station, whether it's on a sports channel, three o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, it just catches. It captures your attention. It sets things on on fire. And of course, eventually, what happened was uh, we all say the WF attitude had a little bit to do with ECW, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That that. that WF found they found their attitude, and Mentz will say, "Well, we always had that attitude, but no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you took it from ECW is what happened there. And of course, WCW took a lot of the ECW guys in the process. Like you know, once the ECW found out about the cruiserweights, once they found out about, about guys like Benoit, Jericho, Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, they took those guys. And once ECW found out about the Luchadors like Conan and Juventud and Rey Mysterio, they took all those guys too." Yeah, but uh, Eric Bischoff's a genius. He was going to do that anyway. He was going to do that anyway, of course. That's what he tells you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he will. He, if he gives me a three weeks to listen, I'm sure I'll listen. To him. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. It was what it was. But the ECW, the part with ECW closing did not surprise me, to be honest with you, because once they lost the TNN deal, I wasn't sure where else they would catch on. I'm not sure. I was not sure who else would give them a contract. And uh, to me, their closing was not a surprise. Uh, and once Paul Heyman appeared on Raw, that was pretty much 
it, you know. And I know some of these you guys are still hanging on. They're still hoping. Oh, well, man, no, no. Once Paul Heyman walked out for Raw, it's like, nah, eh, that's done. It's yeah, over. and then for those of you that weren't around at the time, it was like, that's when the ECW roster found out that they were done. It really was. It really was. That's when they found out. They did not get a call. Yes. They didn't get an email. They didn't get a direct message on Twitter. They didn't, they didn't get nothing. What they got was Paul Heyman walking out raw. Yeah, I was going to say, as you brought up earlier, <laughs> Paul had gone to Hollywood and said, I was, I'm was. i working on TV deals. I'm yeah. going to work my ass off for you guys. And then the whole time he was filming yeah, Rollerball. Yeah. And then he was negotiating with WWF and... When yeah. uh, Jerry Lawler got the boot after uh, his the situation with his uh, walked out the cat uh, wife at the time yes yeah so he walks out on the company and then they need a new commentator and here comes Paulie dangerously yep <laughs> on Which, TV I mean, and yeah I mean I I still respect Jerry Lawler for doing that although it was uh, a bad move on his part in the long run <laughs> it didn't work out for him but I respect his motives. Yeah, well, Jerry Lawler's entire relationship thing is pretty much a bad idea, but... Yeah, anything yeah. with Jerry Lawler in a relationship is a bad idea. That's true. Yeah. So, but yeah, like you said, ECW closing, honestly, and unfortunately, not a surprise. Definite disappointment, because the ECW stuff, they just... There was so much fun stuff with it that, like you said, showed up in both companies and is responsible yeah. for a lot of... A lot of changes we saw, and a lot of changes on on both sides, and just uh, all across professional wrestling. The ECW, uh, they 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 set the mold. A lot of those guys kind of followed in. It's it was a good time. I mean, Mick Foley would tell you that when he first entered WWF, uh, the the chance he got most were you sold out, and ECW. <laughs> That's what he heard the most when he first came out. You know? Yeah, and also. ECW, you know, like the whole vibe of it. But the thing is, it helped so many guys majorly. Like Jericho got a good run there and he got hired by WCW. But, you know, you talked about like Benoit, Malenko and those guys and Eddie. Eddie. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, the thing with Eddie was Eddie was supposed to be there as a tag team because Paul was supposed to bring in him and uh, Art Bar. Art Bar, Los Gringos Lycos. Yeah, that's basically a deal. But then Art Bar passed away. Not too long before that. So you have all these guys, and then you have, like... Still, what if, yeah. Yeah, so then you have, like, you have Foley that drops in, you have Brian Pillman that drops in, you have Steve Austin that drops in, and, like, Austin will constantly talk about how that time of, like, being able to freeform, cut promos, and, like, really learn. Yeah, so you get that, and, like, Foley, too, because... That's where he got to explore a ton of stuff yep. like the Kane Dewey oh. promo and the anti-hardcore stuff. Nick Foley's ECW promos are among the best promos of all time. Exactly. So you have yeah. all that stuff. And then you have like, then you have like wacky, obviously you have the Terry Funk run, which is great. And it's in some ways it kind of feels like the PCO run these days, <laughs> you know, just old, crazy, hardcore dude. Terry taking... Funk was all about putting people over. Much uh, unlike yeah. a lot of people in his generation. That's right. But that's the thing. <laughs> Terry Funk just wanted to go out there and fucking wrestle. He yeah. didn't really care. Yeah. But then you had like fucking guys like uh, you you had Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson drop in. Yeah. And stuff yeah, like that. Not. And it's just like some weird stuff you didn't expect at times. But it was like 
It was such yeah, a fun Kimono place. Yeah, Kimono wanna lay and Beulah making out, you know. <laughs> Good night, Kimono wanna lay and dance the top the ECW arena. Good night, she danced the top the ECW <laughs> If you guys don't the understand... The Bam Bam's Bam Bam Bigelow against Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And you might recall the night that Raven faced Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And the old Terry Bam Bam Gordy was back for one night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's like, you guys, what you need to understand is like, ECW TV was like, basically like paid syndication. So yes. there was no commercials. It was just ECW commercials throughout. So they there were constantly. Commercials maybe, yeah. Yeah, but it was mostly them se- selling future events, selling DVDs. And they, they always had these big taglines. <laughs> like Steve said, you had the Battle of the Bam Bams. It was Bam Bam uh, Terry Gordy and Bam Bam Bigelow. And then, like, the, the biggest one always to close out was, That's and then right. blah, 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 whatever the event was, the night come out and want to let you dance the top of the ECW top arena. ECW arena. Yeah, it is just, it was all the time, but it's like, it says little things you remember. And it's, yep. yeah. yeah, so, but yeah, losing ECW is, uh, again, like you said, not unexpected, but definitely a disappointment. And WCW, we've talked about a little bit as we've talked That's- about. That was a surprise. <laughs> yeah, because we, you know, we all expected Eric Bischoff and Fusion at the time was the big company that was supposed to buy it, and uh, apparently there's going to be a special on the WWE Network looking <laughs> into that uh, failed venture. And Which, what? Ha- I mean, I'm sure it's not a coincidence that they would release this on the same weekend as Double or Nothing. I'm sure that's not a coincidence. I'm no. sure that's, that's completely. Uh, Completely coincidence, I'm sure. Yes, just yes, a quinky yes. dink. They're not taking a shot at anybody. You're trying. They're not taking a shot at TNT or no, 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 no. They would never do anything like that. No, <laughs> but not, uh, WWE. not those good folks. That's right. Not the good brothers of WWE. But the whole no, story no. was, Eric Bischoff and Fusion had the funds reportedly. They were set to buy it, but Brad Siegel and the uh, Turner execs decided they didn't want Ted's wrestling project anymore. And they were going to sell the company. Yeah, they were going to sell the company, but there was going to be no TV with it. And that's what that's what led the WWE swooping in because without TV, WCW was not worth it to anybody else. Which to me is uh, a very short sighted of Eric Bischoff to think that WCW would be worth nothing without TV because you still got the library. That's a big fucking library. They had a lot of stuff there, Turner. Yeah, well, but they, they just... I mean, they know how to... I, I know Dice Davies never great at uh, figuring out that market. The DF was. They could fit. They could, they could work that. They could make different DVD projects. Dice Davies never really figured that out. So I guess... I think Eric Bischoff, he might not admit it himself, but he's a little short-sighted there to not see the value there. They always had like a merchandising problem, you know, like four horsemen vitamins and nitro yeah. cologne and yeah. just like the weirdest shit. But yeah, it's a, uh, but yeah, like WCW was the surprise because it seemed like there was hope there because while the company was going down, there was still talent there. And you're thinking, you know, if they have the TV and they have a chance to turn around with some fresh leadership or whatnot, you never know what could happen because we're still at a time where people are jumping companies yep. and you know, the right move at the right time was, you know, always on the table, but yeah, WWE swoops in 
Uh, like just under $5 million, picks up some contracts, gets a bunch of trademarks, gets the tape library, which is just paying for itself with the network these days. Seriously, I mean, that's ridiculous. And I, then, I always uh, remember Chris Jericho saying, you know, if I knew what he bought for it, I would have got some people together and bought myself. <laughs> yeah. And then later on, you have EC, ECW goes into bankruptcy filing, and during the proceedings, their biggest creditor owed was Vince McMahon and the Whoa! WWF. Can you believe it? Which leads to Vince McMahon uh, acquiring the bulk of the assets and the tape library and all that good stuff for, like, no money because he was owed money. Yeah. Oh, boy. When you know, when the pony. <laughs> My son, Blue. <laughs> so, yeah, you just, you got all that and just... So you have these companies that are done and then WWE in like their first attempt is trying to make their own competition. Yeah. 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 The, I, and I remember when they would, they were trying to hype the events when you would hear that there'd be high events for Shane McMahon's WCW. And there was all kind of <laughs> all kind of plans rumored for WCW. There were a lot of plans, a lot of plans. There were plans that they were going to be run separately, and that yep. they were going to get the Monday night time slot, and that Shane would control it, and Vince would control SmackDown. That was the plans, but you know what? You know what kind of happened there that kind of uh, that kind of uh, didn't help them out was that they gave Vince McMahon all this airtime, the 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 TV company Viacom to be specific with TNN spy all that stuff. They gave Vince a lot of airtime for this other venture called the XFL. And with the XFL failing and being a piece of shit, they decided, you know what, we probably should shouldn't give Vince all this other airtime for this other stuff. Yeah, and the other thing to consider <laughs> which a lot of people forget is when the XFL was going down the tubes, you yeah. know, Vince was going to keep airing it on UPN. Yeah. And the UPN basically told Vince, listen, yeah, you can gosh. have the XFL or you can have SmackDown. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I believe Vince made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So, well, hopefully uh, Vince has learned a lesson from then. Let Oliver Luck run the XFL. Yeah, I, I, I doubt that. Situation. Well, that's a whole other issue for another time. <laughs> so the early days of the invasion, we kind of talked about during the, uh, the raw review and you just have this this collection of uh misfit toys from WCW. Uh a lot of guys, I mean there's there was talent there, don't get me wrong. There's talent, yeah. But the fact is is you can't bring in like the J V squad and expect them to compete with Steve Austin and stuff like that and just be believable because the WWE fans were generated and built and crafted to be WWE fans. Whereas, you know, and that's, you know, they were always told that their product was the best. And we talked about that last Nitro. That set the stage for what the invasion was going to be. McMahon versus McMahon. And it's funny, you know what, because I saw on Twitter say our good friend Patrick O'Dowd. You know Patrick. Phil. Phil O'Dowd, that's right. He asked the question. You know, were WWF and WCW fans as childish, as childish as these fans today going about WWE and All Elite Wrestling? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. (laughs) 
Yeah. More so. More so. Well, that's the, the, uh, yeah. It's the, like the bad feelings between WWF and WCW were much worse than the feelings between the WWE fans and elite wrestling fans today. Now, uh, much worse. And again, dude, much that's worse. because you had those fans that were. You know, Jim Crockett promotion and NWA fans that were tra- uh-huh. transitioned into uh, WCW fans. They were then, never watched a macabre cartoon produced by Vince McMahon. That's right. And they were used to this for the longest time. They were used to this more what looked realistic product. And like, you know, you had like the steel cage matches and you had the blood and everything. And like the cage wasn't silly big blue bars. It was a chain no, link fence. Chain link fence. And, you know, their guys were wrestlers. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And then you had the WWF fans, WWF fans, WWE fans that were brought up on a more entertainment-based product. And, you know, you went from Bruno into the rock and wrestling era with Hogan. And then you eventually got into that new generation. Then you got to the Austin Attitude Era. And they were conditioned to be fans of their product. Yeah, I mean, so if when you, they if butt heads, round back. If Twitter was around back then, it would have been just as bad. It would have been worse, probably. Probably, to be with yeah, you. yeah. Well, because the North and the South back then, the Northern wrestling and the Southern wrestling, the Northern wrestling, Southern wrestling. There's a lot less in common then than there is now. So it would, oh, it've been, it would been great. It would been great. I, I, I would say, I would say. It would have been bad. No, it would have been great. I would have loved it. It would have been great to see everybody tear each other apart. Oh, it would have been great. Yeah, but I mean... That's and I, a, hope I'll, I'll, I hope AEW does that, to be honest with you. You, you. you agree with me. You know. I just want good fucking wrestling, dude. And God if it, damn right. And if, if it, AEW lights a fire in Vince's ass, then God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like I keep saying. It's like, you know, I've, I've had to be very careful how I talk about it because... You know, there's not a lot to judge on yet, you know, and we've, yeah, we, you and I yeah. talked about this. It's like, we have some roster members and, you know, yeah. they, they've had this great pay-per-view. They've had some shows, a couple of shows, yeah. And so it's like, you know, we know that, but again, it's like, they've stole out buildings and stuff, which is awesome. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, can they do that on a weekly basis? Can they bring in a TV audience? Can they sustain that greatness through an episodic TV show? You know, those are all questions we need to be answered. And, like, everybody got mad at Joe Coff over the weekend from ROH because he was like, you know, it's like, it's great that they sold out the show and it's probably going to be great. He's like, but they're not even on TV yet. He's like, you know, let's talk when they hit 400 episodes. And I get that not everybody likes ROH. But but that that is a fair point. Exactly. And, like, you got to see, it's like, again, can they expand on all this good that they've done? So we'll see what happens. I'm excited for it. I, again, I think the best thing that they've done so far is that not only have they given another place for people to work, but they've made WWE pay more money for people. So Which it's it's only helping the boys and the girls. So that's I think those are good things. Damn right. Damn right. So, uh, yeah, the business keeps changing, Steve. <laughs> the more it changes, the more it stays the same in some ways. But Well, yeah, exactly. The more it changes, the more it stays the same. I gotta give I I gotta give these guys credit. I give the elite guys credit because you know what? As long as TNA stayed in existence, they never got TNA on TNT. Yeah. Never got never got TNA on TNT. You didn't get that. So these guys they they got something going. I mean, maybe you don't get me. Everybody doesn't get, it, but uh, it's working. Yeah. I hope I hope it works for a long time, and I hope people. 
and I hope for competition. I hope for more wrestling to talk about. What you and I root for the most, I think we both agree on. We want more wrestling products to talk about. Well, that's what, I mean, God, Steve, look at us early. We, and we, we used to be so supportive of TNA early on when nobody was. Mm-hmm. Just because we wanted to give them that chance. We wanted to cover it so people would at least think about trying it. And, I mean, you know, it didn't work out great. I mean, the company's still around somehow, but I mean... It's still around somehow. We don't know how it is, but it's still there. Yeah, I just... Uh, and the best part is I like how somebody was like last night was like, oh, there was like no buzz for this show. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, well, my what metrics my, my metrics tell me different there, brother. <laughs> no buzz for that. Really? No buzz for that. What the fuck was he watching? <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, trust me, all my metrics over There's here... There's a lot and... of buzz. I'll tell you that much. Whether people bought it or not, there's some buzz. Yeah, again, we, you know, we can't say, like you said, you can't say how many people bought the damn show, but there was buzz around it, so don't don't say there isn't. And I like how somebody got upset because I gave the show a high score, like, oh, because you, you're a know-nothing mark that just loves their flippy boys. <laughs> Except for the fact that maybe the match I loved the most was Cody and Dustin. Cody and Dustin, they were which, not exactly Which had a boys. suicide yeah. dive and an apron cannonball as far as flippies go. <laughs> And that's more than I expected, to be honest yeah. with you. <laughs> I will say that there was a Jeremy and I talked about this. There's a spot at the end where Cody, it looks like he hits a clothesline and Dustin does like the Rikishi cell. Oh, but it wasn't that they were going for a Spanish fly spot, but oh, Dustin was so fucking bloody that they slipped off of one another. Oh, Jesus Christ. But it's still, it looked okay, but it's just like, it's like, man, I mean, they were, they were trying some shit, and I will say that uh, as critical as I've been with Cody, he was awesome, and uh, probably the best performance of Dustin Rhodes' career at that show. That's saying a lot. That is saying a lot for the the uh, performances Dustin Rhodes has had in his career, and I've been a Cody fan for a long time, and I got a lot of slack for being a Cody fan, but for, God, for God's sakes, this is a... <laughs> Cody is following, he is following the footsteps of his father, American Dream. Is, is he not? No, he is. And <laughs> yes, I tell you what, Dusty would have loved that fucking match last night. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes would have been a, like a pig in slop. Yep. <laughs> he would have been. He would just loved it. Just, and then they were going to take on the Young Bucks. Oh, oh, just a lot of good stuff going on in the wrestling business right now. Uh, it's It's a good time to be a wrestling fan, folks. It is, dude. It is. So, the other thing we want to talk about right now, we got a new we got a new series on on Viceland, right, Larry Zonka? That's right. We got new we got new series on Viceland. We're down the we're down the dark side of the ring. Now we got the wrestlers, and the wrestlers are supposed to follow some people that are currently in the business, as opposed to the uh, dark side of the ring, which followed people not in the business. And uh, the wrestlers follow these people that are currently in business. And this is all about the folks in, the, in Evolve, Larry Zonka, a promotion I know you're all too familiar with. This is correct. You have followed, you've, have, you, have you reviewed all their shows on 401? Um, I have reviewed the vast majority of Evolve shows. I had, there's some early ones I didn't, and I miss some every once in a while when they put them on, like, Sunday night against the WWE pay-per-view because I don't always get a chance to go back. Yeah. But, I've probably I'd I'd safely say I've reviewed like eighty percent of their shows and they're in like the hundred and twenties now. I know you're one of the bigger evolved reviewers on the wet on the internet. 
I know you've covered most of their shows, so you know most of their guys. So this would be right, right up your alley. We're talking about the the wrestler show. We got Gabe Sapolsky talking about all these guys. And uh, you watched the show, right, Larry? Yes, I did. Okay, so you'll be able <laughs> And uh, I know it. What, can you tell me what year it was? It's like, was it 2017 that they did, that did this show? It, it feels like it was probably closer to 2016. Okay, it, it's, 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 it, it's hard to tell it because, like... like it's a little far back. I yeah, because, like, Kyle O'Reilly was in there, and, like, he did, yeah. a, he did a short return before he went to WWE or NXT. Yeah. And, then like, Riddle was still there and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, Riddle came in. But, um... So, I feel like it's a couple years before. Yeah. It felt like a couple years before. I think it's an interesting looking game and what he's doing there. But uh, we started off with uh, <laughs> Darby Allen and Ethan Page. You know, two your two two guys right there. And uh, the thing I had to laugh at with those guys talking backstage, Ethan uh, Ethan Page is all like, "Well, you know what? These fans they're looking forward to this match. They'll be all into it. So we don't have to do that much." And Darby Allen's like, well, you know, I don't want to do this whole crazy fucking shit. So Darby's yeah. going crazy. Yeah, cue the B-roll footage of Darby <laughs> Allen hitting a fucking, like, suicide dive and toe yeah. in the first seven seconds of the match. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. And the thing was, is I will tell you this, as someone who followed that feud, um, Ethan Page was 100% right in that instance. Because the crowd wanted Darby Allen to beat him so bad. They could have done, like, the slow circle around and... You know, lock yeah. up, trade some punches. They didn't have to go balls to the wall right away, but that's Darby style. It's what he does. Yeah, but they showed, uh, Ethan they Page showed, was definitely right. Yeah, they showed, and Darby is a hardcore kind of guy in the ring and outside the ring. Like that's what he likes to do. He likes to do. He does crazy shit inside the ring. He does crazy shit outside the ring, and uh, he's kind of a crazy guy, Larry Zonka. So. You got to tell me. I mean, he got injured during this show. <laughs> he got his elbow torn apart by a shovel, so he got to miss some time. So what's Darby Allen been doing since the show? Well, Darby Allen is going to be one of the guys that I think goes down as a big missed opportunity for Gabe and Evolve. He oh, was boy. a guy that they brought in. His debut match was against Ethan Page. He lost on a WrestleMania weekend in like under three minutes to a package pile driver. It's when they were building Ethan page up originally. And, um, it eventually worked into a longer form feud. Uh, Darby was kind of their Mikey Whiprick. He was their underdog dude that everybody loved. Uh, just, he would do some crazy shit when the time needed it. And the organically, the evolved crowds got behind him. They were into him. And then he started growing, out of just a kind of crazy hardcore dude into a guy that could start to wrestle. He had some really great outings against like Matt Riddle, JD Drake later on, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. And he looked close and closer and closer to winning the Evolved title. But for some reason, it just never happened. And then we found out uh, not too long ago, he got his release and he assigned with AEW. Well, there you have it. Was he on the uh, Double or Nothing show? No. Did he do anything there? No. No. Okay, he's so uh, he's later on. He's later facing on. Cody at one of the upcoming shows, I believe. Well, right. So he uh, probably later on he probably had a good showing against Cody. So okay. So good for Darby Allen. 
I, that that whole interaction to me was funny where Ethan Page is like, well, you know, we can get away not doing too much. And Darby's like, oh, I want to do fucking this and fucking that. Okay. Yeah, Ethan Page is like, listen, brother, we don't have to do nothing. And Darby's like, we can do everything. But you know what, then? Later on in the show, when the uh, the interviewer guy is talking to Ethan Page, Ethan's worried about getting into that slot where he works with all the rookie guys and putting those guys over. And it makes me wonder, maybe if he did some crazier shit earlier on, maybe we, he would have gone farther, right? Uh, you can make the argument for that. I, I can't see that. I don't know. I know he's doing big things in TNA right now with uh, TNA slash Impact Wrestling with Josh Alexander, his friend from... God, those guys been going back back way far in the day. The, the Monster they're, they're, Mafia. The Monster Mafia, now they're the North in Impact Wrestling, so they're, they're doing things there, which is what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> At this point, Impact Wrestling is what it is, so good, good luck to him. But, uh, yeah, he was one of the guys, okay, he's one of the guys featured. And then we moved on to Austin Theory. Austin Theory was a guy, he's, uh, he's straight edge, unlike you and myself. He, he doesn't do the drugs, he doesn't do the... Done do this, done do that. He uh, all about the working out. Looks like a great kid. I mean, he had some good showing. So tell me, Larry Zonka, uh, he's a guy who trained with A.R. Fox. Not one of my favorites, A.R. Fox, who is uh, uh, one of the uh, under-heralded uh, stars in Pan Wrestling, who has done things in Lucha Underground. But uh, tell me, what has Austin Theory been doing since since this show what's he been up to well austin theory i like to uh refer to him as caw 2k1 uh he feels like a very early uh 2000s wwe creator wrestler uh kind of like when they were all looking for those randy orton clones for the longest time he has that look he, he's yeah. got the, he's got a good look but he yeah does. i mean i won't won't deny the fact he has a good physique he is a guy that um, they have a lot invested in. They did an angle when William Regal came to Evolve to do, like, he did a seminar and some stuff, and he did a segment with Darby Allen and Austin Theory about how they keep asking about wanting to be the next big stars and where's their chance, and Regal was like, you know, you need to make your own chances, you need to win championships and make yourselves the next independent stars. And since then, uh, Austin Theory, he had uh, been the FIP champion, the WWN champion, the Evolve champion. Uh, he's getting a big push. A lot of champions. Yeah, he, um, he, does, he does well for the most part. He doesn't have bad matches, but a lot of the time, I think his main event work is a little underwhelming. There's been times, though, when he like he's had some great matches. Was like He did it, worked uh, Joey Janela when he was there for a little bit. He had a really long feud with A.R. Fox. They did the student versus teacher angle with them. Yeah. Uh, they did some really great stuff. and um, So it just depends on who he works with and kind of, I guess, what mood he's in almost. But uh, there's times <laughs> where he kind of feels like he can be great, but I think he kind of peaks it good a lot of the time. But he has a great look and a lot of potential. And that's often nothing to get to get by and to get some looks from some people, that's for sure. So we might be seeing more from him in the future. But uh, another guy I wanted to ask you about, another guy who is training with AR Fox, uh, Fred Yehai. The, uh, the, he, apparently he's a, he's a short fella, apparently. Yeah, Fred was Working great. On second rope. Yeah. Fred was part of the, uh, the catch point stable with uh, Gulak and Matt Riddle and... 
some of those guys at the time, the uh, kind of the grappling aspect of the promotion, which they were playing into for a really long time. Uh, Fred has a like amateur wrestling background. He's really good. He plays his size well, good power and everything. And he, I don't know if it was so much a falling out or just a non-contract renewal, but he was uh, going along well, and then all of a sudden he was done with Evolve. And he, he worked some UK stuff. He showed up in MLW for a little bit and then was gone. And, uh, yeah, Fred's a guy that I thought they could have done a lot more with in Evolve as well, but they just um, there was always other guys in his way, basically. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, Fred, you yeah, a guy that follows me on Twitter. So. Yeah. He, he short and pissed off Fred Yehi. I was glad to see that he seems like he seems like a good guy from the, from the, what I saw on the show. Yeah, he's a he's a very nice guy. He's actually seems like a decent fellow. He's actually one of the guys that uh, has had uh, like DM'd me and stuff after shows and like curious about various comments I made on a match. Like, why would you think this? Uh, why would you think that? And I always think that's really cool because. I mean, I'm I'm far from perfect as a reviewer, and like, if I miss something, like I can tell him, I you know I would tell him what I thought, and then sure. you know there was times where he's like, well, this is what we were going for, and blah 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 blah, and it's there like, and there, then then there were times where I freely admitted that either I missed it or that I didn't think they did it right. So, but go. I th- um I always appreciated lines of communication like that because it's just I'm like I try to be the best I can. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I, I will make mistakes. But, yeah, like guys like Fred would DM every once in a while and be like, you know, why would you think this? Or, you know, I thought this shit the bed. Why would you think it was good? Which was always funny when, like, like uh, Stokely Hathaway one time there was a match. <laughs> and I he, he DM'd me. He's like, dude, I thought it was the drizzling shit. And he's like, he's like, he's like, I can't believe you even gave it, like, a decent rating. You know, it's like. We but, saw Stokely. Uh, Stokely didn't appear on this show. He didn't say anything on the show, but he was in the background. <laughs> Stokely was an absolute treasure the entire time in Evolve. Oh yeah, I, that's what I hear. He's fantastic. But uh, yeah, I, uh, Fred followed me. I've not talked to him uh, previously, but does seem like a good dude. And uh, of course, uh, the other big guy on the show is, of course, Gabe Sapolsky himself. Uh, Gabe was a big part of the show. Uh, we saw Gabe at home. We saw Gabe talking to his kids. Saw Gabe talking to the people at the show. Saw Gabe doing things back and forth. So, is Gabe going to get a job with WWE? Is that, that, that's where we're heading to, right? He already has a job, job with WWE. There is a job there. It's, yeah. They're pretty much is he, evolves pretty much double A federation at this point, right? I mean, basically. I mean, and I don't. I know a lot of people seem to hate that. But I think it's really great because so many NXT guys that aren't on TV regularly are getting a chance to work outside of the developmental system. Yeah, like which the is great. the biggest example I can cite is over the last year the Street Profits improved yep. a ton. Yeah, and yeah. that's because they worked with um they worked with like uh, uh, Chris Dickinson and um uh, what the fuck was his tag partner's name? God damn it! I'm gonna kill myself. Is that Jaka? Yeah, thank you. God damn it. But, uh, yeah, like, they worked with them and some other guys and stuff. And (laughs) I know. How the fuck did you know, man? What the hell? Why did I know that? Jesus Christ. But, uh, no, but getting to work outside of the developmental system, because those are guys that were, like, you know, they're WWE creations, and they didn't have that indie background. And you can only work and learn so much working the same people at the same experience level all the time. 
that's why when the guys like Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish and Adam yeah. Cole and them come in, it's really yeah. great for those guys that have never had that Indian experience. And like Velveteen Dream has done a bunch of shows for uh, Evolve, yeah. so it's like, and he's another dude that's really grown over the last year. And then you get a bunch of guys who aren't used a lot, like you know your Raul Mendozas and your, uh, oh, was it Adrian Juande or whatever the one Brazilian dude. <laughs> And uh, just guys like that who aren't seeing a lot of TV and can get some work. And these are basically guys that Gabe looks at when he's down there and says, like, I think they're talented and can do something. So, yeah, yeah, he tries to bring them in. And number one, they get experience. Number two, he can – because the biggest selling point for Evolve right now is we're giving you matches you can't see anywhere else, and we have NXT stars on the show. Yep. So you know that the William Regals and all those guys are watching those shows. Exactly. And they can get you on their show. Like on they the on the tenth anniversary there. show, they're doing a uh, Drew Gulak and Matt Riddle, mm. which is a uh, catch point explodes. That's, and that's a, a great. We are we are solid match next year. It's fucking great. So I want to see that again. Hell yeah. Oh. So I mean, I'm all over stuff like that. To be honest with you, so yeah, definitely down with that. And uh, you know, it's great. It's a great time for the for for Gabe and for Evolve and for down there. I mean, you got Mike Quackenbush come down there a lot of times too. Yeah, and that's I I love seeing stuff like that, like Quack dropping in and doing some training seminars, and I really like seeing like the rotating staff they bring in. I think it's really great that they're they're trying to take advantage of basically anybody with knowledge they can. Because I think that I think that's so important. Because again, you have a large number of developmental talents that have been fully trained in developmental they don't have that indie background they you know they didn't work the territory so to speak they gotta have some kind of background before they go to WWE. exactly you you, you can't just work in front of the full sale crowd and then go up to the WWE. that that doesn't work yeah but like you know and they they all work those coconut loop shows which are fine you know they're and two three hundred crowd shows because you have yeah. to have experience but it's also good to see like like the Street Profits, you know, they went to like the one New York show and they worked Laboom, which is like one of yeah. the, one of the hotter of all um, uh, venues they run. And York, they right? came out and they were fucking superstars. Everybody was doing like the fucking Street Profits dance with them and stuff. Nice. And then to only make it, and then I almost felt bad for them because they were working a six man, and their partner <laughs> was Velveteen Dream. <laughs> and Velveteen Dream comes out, and you would have thought Christ fucking descended from the heavens. Because these <laughs> yeah, people like, went fucking ape shit. They're singing his theme song. Velveteen Dream is the fucking god, yes. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but yeah, but then like seeing them, you know, they get to work in that different environment and they're working with different guys. And like, you know, who would have thought in 2017 Velveteen Dream is going to be working Eddie Kingston? Yeah. You know, that's what the good, fuck? That's good stuff. That's some good stuff. So, and uh, the funny thing is, when that special started, I almost did one of those, like, fucking spit takes when the guy was like, <laughs> you know, Gabe Sapolsky is one of the most influential bookers and in management of talents and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm like, I get that you're putting over the show. But then, like, I sat there and thought about it a little bit. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm like, it's a fair point. It's a fair point when you look back at, <laughs> All the talent Gabe helped build an ROH yeah. and evolved that made it to the bigger stages. And you know what? And, and let's be honest between you and me that uh, 
the best part, the best time in Ring of Honor was when he booked the show, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely I better than say, the Lizard I mean, Man phase. From my perspective, from uh, 05 to uh, up until he did, uh, once, once he started doing the faction warfare shits, when I checked out, it's like, no, no, stop that. Once he did the once he did the Hangman three and the Vulture Squad, it's like no, no. I understand. I understand why they fired him. Because <laughs> he <laughs> he kind of lost his he lost his uh, method there. But uh, you know, but up until that point, it's fucking fantastic shit. Yeah, but um, no, it was a good special, and it's uh, it's interesting. It looks like they have a lot of fun stuff planned out, and uh, I think it'll be an interesting series. I do like that it's. I really like Dark Side of the Ring overall. Yeah. But I also think that this is a a nice change of pace. You know, I think I mean I see that they're trying to keep the wrestling fans around because yeah. I think that the Dark Side of the Ring specials got the most uh most viewers they have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it so, did. So I mean if if they don't continue it's not because of a lack of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh they want they want to do something else or whatever, but uh, yeah they want to keep the wrestling fans around, keep them interested. So could be could be a good piece of business here. So we got um I got a full list of stuff that's coming up here on this series. We got uh changing the face of wrestling, where Damien documents the handoff of one generation to the next by visiting a famed wrestler at the close of his career and profiling the rise of another one. And then we move that on sounds, to. Uh... That sounds uh, very uh, specific. Yeah. Specific. <laughs> we, uh, we move on to Japan's finest wrestlers. Japan posts a fine, boasts the finest women's wrestlers in the world. Damien visits Tokyo to sure. learn what makes these women so good and meets the upcoming generation of stars. And then we move on to... There are very some Aja Kong on that. Yeah. Yeah. So then they, uh, they, they're going to do uh, Deathmatch Wrestling next. Yep. Then they're going to do uh, Powerful Women of Wrestling, which, uh, hmm. let's see, where uh, <laughs> travels to Florida and Bolivia to learn how women wrestlers around the world are using professional wrestling Florida? to battle equality, misogyny, and domestic abuse. You say Florida and Bolivia? Yes. Well, all right. <laughs> that should be good. Yeah. And see, we got uh, the next wave of Mexican luchadors as Mexico copes with an ever-present drug war and Trump's wall, Lucha Libre is more popular than ever, and some wrestlers see Lucha as their ticket to America. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, definitely. It's be interesting, interesting once they hold the World Cup in U.S., Mexico, and Canada, how the world works out. Yeah. So then we got uh, Craziest Wrestling in Japan, where they look there to look at uh, Japan's DDT promotion with the yeah. blow-up dolls, water park matches, and all that weird shit that they do. Which is uh, fantastic, and that yep. see that's where the twenty four seven rule was fucking legit, because you got like mm-hmm. pieces of chicken and fucking ladders winning the belt. That's right, chicken. You got ladders, got all kinds yeah. of bullshit going on. Yeah, one motherfucker fell asleep eating the uh, like a hibachi chicken <laughs> on a stick, and the chicken won the title. Damn. Fantastic. So then we move on to wrestling on Canada's reserves. Damien heads to northern Quebec to join a crew of wrestlers who braved the weather in isolation to bring professional wrestling to the remote and disadvantaged First Nation communities. The, right. uh, the, the famous Indian reservation trips. Oh, nice. So, oh. Uh, voodoo wrestling in the Congo. In a war-torn Congo, a <laughs> cultural collision has made one of wrestling's strangest subgenres, voodoo wrestling, <laughs> in which suplexes and power bombs mixed with hexes and deadly black magic. Oh, 
That sounds pretty good. Fuck yes. And then uh, we have we close out with body slamming homophobia in Mexico's exoticos. The male wrestlers who embrace the feminine and dress and drag inside the ring have been defying the macho side of lucha libre for decades. Yep. So they're they're uh, they're covering a wide variety of things. We'll see how they work out, but uh, I think the show is interesting, and it's a. Uh, I like that we're getting some different wrestling content that's not being made by wrestling promotions. Exactly. This is it. Sound all sounds like stuff that uh, that WWE would certainly not cover. I don't. I don't think they'd be. I don't think they'd be doing exoticos anytime soon. I don't think. No. Just guessing. Just guessing. Certainly not in Saudi Arabia, where they'll have their wonderful event this <laughs> next week, which I will not be watching. Just saying. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, oh, I just um. To close up, we'll get a little personal here. I just uh, yeah. just celebrated, uh, closed up my 15th year here at the 411. Oh, yeah. And uh, we have been together for a lot of this ride, Steve. A lot yep. of people may not know. We uh, we were on the old 411 forum as posters together. Uh-huh. And we hung sure out. Were. And uh, then we joined uh, Lino and the Penguin over at the Wrestling Talks franchise. and. Kind of, yeah, we got our uh, start writing about the wrestling, covering a lot of TNA and Impact weekly shows, and uh, then I got hired uh, May of two thousand four. Started with the uh, the Super X Cup, yep. and had a good time with that, and uh, I stayed on. And then you shortly came on after to start covering the uh, Impact on uh, Fox Sports Net series. I had I I recall as it was yesterday, because you cannot you are not allowed to cover the impact on the impact on Fox Sports Net on other websites, so I started doing it on the twtf dot com dot net dot whatever it was at this point I don't remember. <laughs> I remember I started covering it on there for that, and then. Uh, Ashish or you or whoever took notice and I wound up doing the impact insight on 411 as well. Yeah, and that Around was a the time the big split, if you will. That's right. And yeah, it was a you know long time ago and uh just interesting times at the beginning there and we were the uh you know, we were kind of yeah, you I brought you on yeah, right when they uh when all the bullshit happened. It's around the big split when all yeah. those guys jump ship and they head over to the inside pulse. And yeah. as I said on the Twitter machine, I'm pretty sure that you single-handedly provide more content to 4 one than all the people that left provided to inside pulse. I'm pretty uh, sure that's accurate. It, it very well could be. I have no I'm clue, pretty sure it but... is. I'm pretty sure it is. I would be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah, but because that was a lot um, of those guys fly, uh, flamed out. Let's be honest. Yeah, that, and that's 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 the funny thing is like, you know, for for those of you that don't know what the split is, um, back in you know two thousand three, four one one wrestling became four one one mania, expanded into yep. covering various different subgenres like the music and the uh, mu- uh, TV and movies and stuff, along with wrestling still as the hub and yep. everything was going well and um. You know, uh, Big Ashish Pavari runs the site. He has been a great friend to me over the years. He's the guy that gave me the freedom to do all the stuff that I do. But at the time, there was another gentleman that worked with him. And in 2004, in August, 
Uh, basically, a castle coup was staged. Yep, he had uh, quietly recruited a bunch of the quote-unquote big-name writers. The big names, if you will. That's right, and they the were names. starting a new website called Inside Pulse, which was very similar to what 411 Mania was. It was pretty much the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And um, so we lost uh, like all the all the comic staff, the vast majority of the, pretty much the whole. St- I mean, we lost like probably seventy percent of the staff in that. Yeah, pretty much. It I was mean, a uh, all, all the comics guys like uh, Chris Hyatt, Scott Keith, Eric, uh, whatever fucking name was I, Eric S. So, you know, whatever, Eric whatever S., the yeah. guy's name was. He, <laughs> we lost that guy. <laughs> a lot of the wrestling guys. Josh, Joshua Groupman, my good friend, Josh Group. Yeah, so, I mean, that was uh, all those guys left. And, uh, you know, I was I was still doing some stuff at uh, the TWTF site that I uh, wasn't doing on 411 at the time. And uh, it was one of those situations. The Chiefs was like, listen, he goes, we got about two months to turn this shit around. Otherwise, we're going to be in some trouble. He's like, uh, <laughs> and he uh, offered to allow me to edit the wrestling site. And basically, yeah. I said, well what do you want? And he's like, I'll take whatever you got. And he got me. He got all the other stuff I was writing. He got Steve cook who I, you know, I had to bring you over because I needed someone I could trust. Number one. Yeah. And I needed someone I knew would do the work. Yeah. And, uh, we just, you know, we built up the staff from there, you know, JD Dunn stayed JD thankfully. Dunn. And, um, we got Dave Schilling was there. Yeah, Dave Schilling was there with us. We brought in Matthew Forsina, who helmed yep. Ask Four One One and all that stuff for a long time. And uh, we, you know, a lot of guys: Bayani Domingo, Nick Marcisco, just a lot of guys over the years. That yeah, Andy Clark, you know, various ways came into the site and put in just a ton of work over the years. And we had that. It was kind of like that ROH edge when they were doing the Generation Next thing. We were, yeah, we all kind of felt a little we were slighted, Next, yeah, and we were all like done we and I slighted because, well, you know, I mean, uh, certainly you were because Widger decided to take all those other guys, and well, he didn't yeah. take you, did he? No, no. Well, Dunn and I felt. I remember we felt slighted yeah, no, just because we thought we were good either. and we were never really asked and. And Dunn was a rant guy, and he's a lot better than Scott Keith. Let's be honest. I don't know what JD's doing now, but I miss I miss JD. He's he's a good dude. Know, he was a damn good writer. I don't know yeah, but uh, I th- I think he's doing. Uh, he went to school for film and stuff. I think that's what he's doing. Okay, yeah, he's he's making movies something. and writing scripts and shit, man. I mean, that's writer. Yeah. Writer, some name we don't know. He might be yeah. might be Michael Bay for all we know. Yeah. And then of course <laughs> we had we had such luminaries back in the day as Thag the Brute. Yeah, and I uh, just <laughs> just some amazing stuff. You know, Michael Melkor was around a long time. Yeah, uh, Mike, you know, doing stuff good with Gorilla friend. Position now. He's a good guy. Ryan Bowman, the same. And yeah, you just you know, we've had a lot of guys, and it's just we had such a great ride, and it's just guys that banded together, and we worked hard. We had a goal, and I mean, I I fucking loved my time on the site, and you know, it's funny. It's like you know, Steve and I like we've never met. But I mean, we have yeah. been friends for a long we've time. We've never met, but we've been closer friends than most people we actually have met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, we've been on this crazy ride together for pretty much this whole time and just, you know, covering the business. And we've gone through the various phases. And, you know, we, like we said, we were co- kind of covering the end of ECW, WCW. We went through all that, the early 2000 stuff and the original 
the draft and all that stuff that they would do and you know, the rise of TNA, kind of oh, the yeah. ROH being created, PWG, Chikara, mm-hmm. and all this stuff and the various times the NWA has tried to come back. And, <laughs> and then like every couple of years, there's always that promotion that comes out and says, we're going to start soon. We're going to film in Vegas and we're going to offer health insurance to everybody. Yeah. And then they never come to life, you know? <laughs> but yeah, the, but goddamn, it might have actually come to life right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might have actually happened. Oh, for God's sake. After all this time, after all this time, it might have actually happened. But, uh, you know, it's amazing. I mean, uh, from my personal perspective, Larry Zonka, I, I, I read various websites on the internet. I remember my first introduction to the to the world outside WDF on America online. You know, outside WDF.com and all that stuff was when Owen Hart died, which was 20 years ago, a couple of days ago. Just the, the worst day. Just the worst day. But that's when I caught on to other websites who were covering Owen Hart death. And that's how I learned about a website like Rest of the Line. And I learned about CRZ. And I learned about 411. 411 with Chris Hyatt and all the stuff that's going on back there. So I started reading all that stuff, and, uh, you know, I read for a while. And with me being myself, steaming what it is, I never thought I could actually contribute to that. But uh, once I got to, once I got on the 401 message board, guaranteed the GF and got all that stuff, and uh, Dave Schilling wanted me to fill in for him one week, it's like, well, okay, I, I could actually do this. And then you invited me on to 401 Mania. And uh, it's been a ride since there. Yeah. And I've been, and Ashish has not fired me yet. There you go. <laughs> he said, "I'm sure. He, I'm sure he's he's looking for reasons. I'm sure. <laughs> he's looking yeah. for it." The funny thing is, is like my path into this was so weird because, like in the early 2000s, I tried to write for a bunch of various small sites that always like. I was like the Lance Storm killing the territory guy. I'd come in and write for a couple of weeks and, <laughs> and then fucking die. place would shut down, you know? So I'd, and that, then you probably thought that's what happened 411. Yeah. And it's just like the weirdest <laughs> thing. But then I was, I found 411 and I, I was like, Oh great. I can find like news all in one place. Yeah. Then I joined the forum for a while. And like, I would talk to like you and the penguin and yeah. Lino, the taker fan and big sure. Mike and those guys. And you know, I, I would sit there and I remember that, I would read the TNA recaps at first and I, I, yeah, I hated them. And that's how it all started was what pissed me off one night was I came home and I'm watching, I watched the, uh, watched the pay-per-view and then I went to read like the 411 report just to see what the guy thought. I I don't even know who was doing it at the time. And there was like a 15 minute, um, Jerry Lynn match that I thought was really good. And I opened the report and it said like, it was like 15 minutes. Jerry Lynn was okay. It was fine. And that's, that was the entire recap <laughs> for the match. And I was like, you just can't drop that there and like give no context. <laughs> so I got pissed off. I remember you started doing like full, full blown TNA recaps on, on the, the form. form yeah. yeah. And it was like, um, yeah, it was like a, I think the guy who wrote him at the time was Jack Daniels on the website. Jack Daniels. And so yeah. I was like, I would write his Jim Not Beam. Jack Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I would I write his Jim Beam on the form. Yeah, Jim Beam. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, I started doing fucking full recaps. And then uh, Voodoo Penguin and Lino um, started their own little site. And they were like, hey, you want to write for a website? And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm like, sure. <laughs> and I went over and started writing for them. And they were the first dudes that let me write whatever I wanted to write. And I did like the TNA stuff. I did columns. That's where I started the original three R's. Yeah. Uh, And they were, they were cool and let me write and it was great. And they were equally as cool when I got the big chance at 411 and everything. And I mean, that's without that chance. I mean, I just would have been a dude on the forums for the longest time. Who knows where I would have been. And, you know, I mean, honestly though, because I mean, I went to college, I I got music degree and everything. And it's like, I was going to be a music teacher and all that good stuff. And, you know, just things worked out. We had a kid and everything, and I decided to be stay-at-home parent, and uh, everything kind of worked out well because I got into the writing, and then I got into kind of managing the website and editing, and yeah, yeah it just it all worked out. And so I got to stay home with both of my girls when they grew up, and didn't have to put them in daycare, and got to watch them grow up and spend time with them, and yeah, it's just it's been a crazy fifteen years because my oldest one is. 17 she's gonna be a senior next year oh god i know you feeling old That's, now cookie yeah i really do because <laughs> i remember she i remember she was like fucking three years old <laughs> that's right and then uh you know my little one is uh seven she's going into third grade next year and yeah it's uh yeah it's been a wild ride but uh you know if i didn't have uh trent and lino at the beginning they gave me just a lot of freedom and yeah. I was never a great writer and I'll, I I won't even say I'm like a great writer now. It's like, I'm not like Len, like Len Archibald. I think Len is a fucking fantastic writer. Len. Uh, yeah. He's really, he's really good. And I, I don't even read his stuff because I, I don't want to feel bad. <laughs> I don't want to feel bad. honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think I write That's good why I don't co- read a lot of stuff because I don't want to get pissed off at everybody me being better than I am, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it. I write a lot of good content when I write columns and stuff, but, like, there's times where Len writes something, and I'm just like, fuck, man. Yeah. Like, thanks, think, Len. I think, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I come up – I think I have some good ideas. I don't think I have good writing. I think <laughs> – I think I have some good ideas for columns that end up good, but I don't – I don't write them well. I don't. I don't think. But yeah, but I mean, uh, Trent Lino gave me a, a a lot of freedom to kind of find myself as a writer, and you know, I started to do that, and then I got on with four on one, and Ashish was just part of it was out of necessity, and part of it yeah. was he needed someone he could trust, and he just he gave me a ton of freedom, and I was you know, fucking video reviews, columns, whatever, and just you know, it's one of those things that. People always like, what's the best advice you could give? And it's like, again, I'm not the world's greatest writer. If you want like technical <laughs> writing advice, ask Len. Len's fucking awesome. Yeah. But if you just want basic advice, it's like anything is repetition. Yeah. I mean, I just, um, you know, reviews and recaps, you have to get repetitive uh, to get speed up and to make them worth it. Um, writing content, you just have to keep writing to find your voice. And Very much. That's what I've done for 15 years, man. It's just, just kind of keep it up. And, you know, now I get to focus on that stuff, which I really like. And I get to do the podcast and stuff. And it's just, it's a really, really fun time. Yeah, but it's just, I mean, yeah, the best advice you can give is just to keep doing it over and over 
and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, right? you, you That's just all you do. just keep doing it. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until you find out what your niche is. That's right. Practice it up, man. I mean, it's a... I still haven't figured it out myself. So. Exactly. And and that's the thing too. It's like like I like the worst thing is I remember like uh, many years ago, Steve, I wrote we needed content for like a holiday. And I wrote something. It was like really quick. It was like things I don't get in wrestling. And it was a list of like 20 one-liners. <laughs> and it was the most fucking red thing I had it's done weird. in years. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because I've had the same experiences. Like the shit you think the least about, it's the stuff that will get the most response. Yeah, and it's like what, uh, what you remember back. I know you remember back when I did the when I did when I did the four one one hot one hundred. That's right. When I did that bullshit, which I would never, I would never do that now. <laughs> I would, not, I would not do that now. No, 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 no. I know Ashish or. Greg DeMarco or anybody else you're all thinking about. It's like, no, not doing it, not doing it. But man, that thing got some response. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, well, you promised a hundred hot women, Steve. I a mean, lot of it's gross a... response, be honest with you. A lot of gross yeah. stuff. And yeah, in this day and age, no, not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to say you're on a, you're on a website pre- predominantly uh, visited by men and you promise a hundred hot chicks. It's a good hook. I, yeah. I yeah. It's a good idea. So, but at yeah. that time, it's a good idea at that time. Not so much now. So, but yeah, it's a it's been a crazy ride. I I've enjoyed the hell out of it, and it's a you know it's kind of cool to see where we are now and just how how things have changed. Because like I said, when we started out, we were you know we lost ECW and WCW, and WWE was just kind of there, and then TNA and ROH, PWG, Chikara all came around. Yep. And we've just seen like various things over the years. You know, we've seen TNA grow and fall and grow and fall. Grow and fall and grow and fall. Yeah, and you know, we've seen ROH, you know, was like, it was funny because like for the longest time, ROH was that like indie rock band that you always heard about. Because like every weekend it was like ROH results, another match of the year contender. It used to be the coolest thing. Like, yeah, the indie rock band. And now it's like that, uh, well, that promotion that that evil right wing corporation promotes. Yeah, I mean, there you go. And now so. it's like, oh, no. <laughs> so, but I mean, we've seen that, and that. then you, PWG like is still just doing PWG things, and they've turned into that. Well, Excalibur's <laughs> doing AEW stuff now, so who the fuck knows what they'll be doing? Well, dude, Excalibur was <laughs> awesome on that, so he's yeah. he's good. The only thing he's funnier than uh, better than him was uh. Juice Robinson on the recent uh, Best of Super Juniors tour. He was just a national treasure. Juice was uh, pretty lit up on the commentary table. <laughs> and he's just sitting there and like uh, Kevin Kelly, like El Phantasma is coming out for the opening match. And he's like, <laughs> and Kevin Kelly's like, Juice, how are you today? He's like, I'm happier than a pig and shit, Kevin. And he goes, and speaking of shit, here's El Phantasma. <laughs> Just like little oh. nuggets like that, and then they were That's talking about uh, year right there. Come on now. Then they were talking about uh, Taiji Ishimori. How uh, he's like he needs to watch watch out. He's falling uh, to those flash pins in the past. Past like when Liger got him in January. He goes whoa whoa whoa. He goes Liger saw and flashed Ishimori, 
And they're like, no. He's like, he flash pinned him. He goes, okay, I was going to say, because if Liger saw and flashed somebody, you'd remember for sure. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you <laughs> really would remember that. <laughs> and then uh, the other one was um, Kevin Kelly's like putting over Bushi as he comes to the ring. And he's like, Juice, any thoughts? He goes, well, more important than all that, Kevin, he's dressed like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, there you have it. I was just, just cracking up the entire time. Juice was, he was having a good time. and uh, But yeah, but Excalibur, great on that commentary. That sounds like a lot better than Kevin Kelly and Steve Grimm's together. I'm not going to lie. Well, Kevin no, Kelly is actually really, really good, though. Not he is. Lie. I, he can be at times. He gets locked into situations at times but uh yeah sounds like a good time and uh it certainly sounds a lot better than what you see on dead commentary with uh all those guys Poor it's Badger. the big dog Poor renee Poor renee oh dude i feel bad for her after this weekend oh god they're gonna do something stupid with her i know i'm i'm waiting for the torture to begin they're gonna do something stupid it's not gonna be good. Get 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 a get a mud pool ready, out of Vicky Guerrero, man. And you know what though? If they try anything like that, Mox will be back there. You know he will. <laughs> you know he'll run back there and he'll sell square. He will. You know that. Oh, I just I I feel bad for her, man. I hope they have the camera. If Mox if they try anything that Mox, if they get camera on Moxley selling score some of those people, that'd be good. That's why I want to see that'd be Moxley great. beating some of those people up. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's a, uh, so that's, that's kind of the trip down memory lane, Steve. It's been a long time for us here at the 411. We s- still got a lot left in the tank. We got a lot left in the tank, brother, as I lift John Cena up for the world's strongest slam right. as I bring him drown. Are you I wearing a lovely salmon, salmon jacket? My salmon, I take off my salmon colored jacket. I'm like, I got a lot left in the tank, brother. The best so, thing was when he did, like, the Hall of Fame and his son had on, like, the jacket. <laughs> it's like, yes. That jacket oh, will go down in history. That, that, that whole thing, that thing with Henry and Cena, that is the best promo of all time. That is the best promo of that decade. Of this decade, I guess, the 2010s. That is yeah. just fucking fantastic. What well, was this so good? Because he was so convincing, too. He really talking was. about going home to seeing his, you know, he's he like talking really to his was. wife. I'm coming home, yeah. baby. And, you know, and, and the I funny think... thing is Mark Henry was like that dude that like, you know, they signed for $10 million for 10 years. And yeah. he had like the shittiest early run. He really did. It's and then like tall. he locks into that hall of hall of pain stretch and had yes. his like the matches with Randy Orton and just Christian great. and great. just turned himself around, man. And yeah, it's just like, that was a dude I greatly enjoyed during that run. And it was, it's always great when you watch wrestling for so long and you see something like that. Yeah, he went from this guy that was just totally a piece of shit that we did not want to see at all to being this guy that's just so awesome. He's like, yes, we're going to see more Mark Henry. This is good stuff. Yeah, and he exactly. does think of John Cena. It's fucking fantastic. And I think that the, the, uh, I think the argument for best promo for the 2010s comes down to that Mark Henry promo on John Cena and uh, either the Cody promo after the match or even that Dustin promo before the match. That video is fucking fantastic. Yeah, they did some really good stuff. They say you've still got, well, I never fucking lost. That's right. (laughs) And you know what, dude? I mean, I'm almost sorry he's going to wrestle again. Just for the simple fact that 
after all the shit, you know, and all like the injuries there at the end, he got the leave and just he got to put on a match that he probably thought for years he had in his heart, you know. Yeah. And he finally got to do the match with Him and Cody. Cody have been that over for for generations yeah. for years. So it's been just over for that for years. God, I, that was so great to see because that's. But I I also want to see him and Cody against the Young Bucks though. Yeah, oh. I was gonna say that's like the that. that's the catch twenty two because it's like yeah I want to see the brothers tag again because they were great when they did yeah, and plus fucking... they're gonna get to work like the Bucks and these other teams and it's like yeah like yeah it's like kind of want to see that <laughs> Let's do more of that Let's do more of that So yeah it's um and you know what it's it's really cool because again you watch wrestling for so long and I just. I remember Dustin Rhodes coming up in WCW. Yes. I, I remember like early teaming with Kendall Windham at times. And <laughs> and then like, you know, he started finding himself and started becoming a really good singles act. And, you know, just all that stuff. And just to see him. And then he, he gets into the Gold Dust character, which was, you know, a lot of people don't want to give him credit. That was a big precursor to the Attitude it, Era stuff. It really was. It really, really, really was. And that's he took that chance and ran with it, man, because a lot of yep. people wouldn't have. Cause yeah, was, but he's a, he's a Rhodes, man. Yeah, but there was a lot of people that didn't want to work with him, too. Like, Scott yeah. Hall didn't like Scott working Hall with him and stuff. Like, hey, yeah. yeah weird shit. But, yeah, just... About shit that Jimmy worried about. Seeing him get that match with Cody, though, and, like... Like we said, that's a match that they wanted. They wanted to make up for that shit feud match that they got in WWE. Yeah, WWE and, shit they did. Yeah, and they um they did you know they did and I just it was it was fucking great. So Loved here's it. the question. I mean, if we're talking about the Rhodes family, sure. The odds of them doing the Dusty Rhodes Classic next year, <laughs> that's gonna be wiped out, right? That's not gonna happen again. <laughs> Uh, who knows? I mean, it's unless they unless Triple H wants to double down being Dusty's kids. You know, yeah, good lord. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Which I think is a lot of Cody's uh, bitterness towards Triple H. Like he wants to be like Tri- Dusty's kid. Yeah, probably is. I I can see WWE keeping it just to say fuck you to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Especially because, because when, especially since when they had Dusty on the contract and day, they had the fucking polka dots, you know. I mean, they didn't mean for that to get over. They yeah. say they did. They did mean for it. No, no, no. They wanted that to bury, get bury, fucking buried, but Dusty made it work. They yeah. won't admit that now. No. Well, because that's, that's not the narrative. The narrative no, now the narrative. is that, well, you know, we knew Dusty could make this work and it was going to be over. No, like, they wouldn't fucking die. <laughs> Yeah, they, they really did. They, yep. they, they won't. They won't convince us otherwise. Yeah, I can he see. I can see Vince handing him the tights. Dusty looking at him goes, "What's this?" And Vince, Vince going, "This is for Starcade, fucker." Polka dots. <laughs> Fuck your Clash of the Champions. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, but yeah. yeah, that was a big fuck you to him. But yeah, again, like I said, Dusty made it work, and yeah, it will be interesting to see if they actually do a Dusty Classic. But uh, it, I'd say they do it just to say fuck you to them. You yeah, know? possibly so. Although I think Dusty would be right on the side with Dustin and Cody. Come on. <laughs> he would be right on their side, right? Well, that's the He'd thing is they're going to they're gonna take keep taking shots at each other in various ways. You know, Trip Waits took his shots at the Hall of Fame. Cody yep. did his little throne breaking bullshit. <laughs> So we're going to see Triple H come out at the next Saudi Arabian show 
riding out on a fucking jaguar or some bullshit. I hope he comes out in the Stardust gimmick to face Orton. <laughs> so he can watch his next 20-minute Chinlock Classic with Randy Orton. Yeah, oh, my God. Like that. Are you, uh, you know, you know, I'm I'm not doing that shit. You know that. I know. Are they making? Are you? Are, are are they making you do that? Yeah, I'm under contract, brother. Oh man, it's all right. I, oh. I'll get my money and walk away. Yeah, I'll be like I WWE. Mean, I'll, I'll. I mean, I'm not getting fifty million dollars, but you know, I'll take my money and run. And yeah, I'm not. Oh, like I think almost the worst part now is that it's at two o'clock instead of noon. And now it's going to push like later into the fucking day. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> but I mean, for my money, I mean, as far as I, I, I'm not touching that. You know that. Yeah. That's not I, my I like how everybody defends that. it. Like, Oh, you're such a bad person. Cause you don't want the Saudi fans to get WWE live. It's like, how oh, many actual fans no. are there? No, stop that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's a like goddamn God. propaganda show. It is. Anybody that defends that can get fucked, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> I, but but I'm way too political for some people out there. So well, all know, I gotta I'm, say is is thank God for my wife because she saved me a lot of shit one day because I was sitting there and I was I was writing something about one of the Saudi shows and you know how I always have like the the various names for the Saudi shows. Well, yeah. after the second Sweet one, Saudi blood money. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was like sweet Saudi two electric boogaloo. And then I was writing something <laughs> and it was right after the, the, uh, the journalist got killed. And so yeah. she came in as I'm writing and, and I had wrote, written a sweet Saudi money to all journalists go to heaven. Yeah. And she's like, she goes, you probably don't want to go with that one. And I'm like, a little, a little too soon. She goes, yeah. She's yeah, like, she's like, it's appropriate. She's like, but you're going to get flambéed. I'm like, all right. Yeah, it's a little too soon. Yeah. So she she saved my bacon there, but that's yeah. That's why it's... I can't do. That's why I can't do that because I don't have somebody like Christy Zonka over my shoulder to, yeah. to watch over me to say because I would say some stupid bullshit that would get me fired. <laughs> yeah, and uh, apparently I'm I'm also racist for calling it sweet Saudi money as well. I've been told that. How's that? I don't know. Apparently, I'm 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 racist and I'm evil against the Saudis, and uh, which which no. is funny because apparently the Saudis don't mind because our listenership is pretty yeah, decent there. Well, there you go. So so uh, anyway, all you uh, well all you Saudis out there that don't represent your regime, how you doing? Yeah, really. All you yeah, good all people you that just want to, but your yeah. your regime can go fuck off. As far, That's right. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And you know what my my regime can fuck off as well. So exactly. we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat here, guys. Yeah. We're, we're not biased. Our regime sucks too. We're all in the same boat. We are all in this together. So keep your stick on the ice. So well as Steve Ray, as Red Green would say. That's right. I think that'll wrap us up for this week. We'll uh we'll pick something else to flash back to for next time. Yes. But, uh, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Make sure to subscribe and share, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Steve, have a good week, and thank you guys for listening.